welcome to Colors of the Dark. Happy holidays and welcome to our end of year top 10 show. I'm excited. It looks like Elric brought liquor. I brought liquor. I brought bourbon. Christmas bourbon. bourbon. I have peach tea. Mm. A calming peach tea. No, I'm, my year requires bourbon. This is me closing <laughs> out the year. Still not done with work. Still have a couple of days of work. I just got to I just got to get out of the city away from my computer and I will be refreshed in January. I can, I'm not allowed to drink because of um, if you've listened to our Patreon, sure, you've heard me complain about it. I ended up a couple of weeks ago with like a crazy bad ear infection that ended up taking my hearing. Um, and I'm now undergoing all of these tests and procedures, but I still don't have hearing back in my right ear. And because of the steroids they have me on, I'm not supposed to drink right now. So calming peach tea. Because normally is. you're hardcore. You're like, a, I know, a usually I'm gal. like boozing it up. <laughs> no, the, the few times I do drink, um, is it Disney? Cause I really like the mixed drinks at Disney. Hmm. And even yesterday, I was like, they've got these cool, like, Christmas themed liqueurs, like cookies and cream with like a nice little shot in it. And I couldn't sample any of it. So kind of bummed, or I probably should have. And then it just would have been a really good time on the Incredicoaster. I feel like I did not know they had alcohol at Disneyland. Oh my God. That's the whole reason. That's why California Adventure is so much better than the regular park because California Adventure has all the booze, especially during Christmas time because they set up stands all over. Like you cannot go more than like 50 feet without bumping into like a booze stand mm. at Christmas time. It's amazing. Mm. Now I know why you're so, always yeah. there. Best time to visit. Your secret Lush. I like it. Secret Disney Lush. I Get a margarita it. and ride like Little Mermaid. It's just, it's kind of a beautiful day. Well, we have done it. We have survived an entire year. Uh, we haven't yet. Well, not we yet. Have, like, we, if we, we have like 20 more days. No, but in, this well, is our last like episode. 17. La yes. I don't care about real life. I just care about, you know, we survived the horror year. The podcasting year. The podcasting life. year we've survived. Uh, and so we are we are in the second half of our show going to count down our top 10, the thing we always work towards every year. I think I've seen over like 73 or so. Yeah. Which is was... pretty high, I think, for, nor for, for a new film year, like for new horror films, I'd say for me. Um, and you know, we'll talk about that when we get there. We have a few that yeah. don't quite make it that we're going to discuss now, some new movies. And then we're going to also count down our five at the top. We're going to do our five favorite non movies that were horror yep. things, uh, from this year, which is should be a little bit of fun. So let's jump into what didn't make the list. What'd you watch? So I'm going to kick off, um, with one that I gotta say. This was kind of close. Like, I will probably include this in my discards, but at the end when I'm talking about kind of the runners up, but I'm going to put it here because I really enjoyed it and I just watched it. And that's the new film, There's Something in the Barn. Mm. This kind of crept in out of nowhere. I saw a couple of people posting about it online and I was like, okay, why not? It's got, um, oh gosh, his name's going to Guilfoy from... Um, Silicon Valley TV show. He was the Satanist on Silicon Valley. He is the lead. He plays a dad who has just recently gotten remarried and he has inherited a very kind of rural, isolated farm in Norway. And so he sweeps up the entire family and moves them there in the middle of winter and everybody is pissed off. His kids are completely angry about the whole thing. But he and his new wife have this ambition of turning this massive barn in the backyard into an Airbnb bed and breakfast type thing. And they get there and everybody in town is completely weirded out by them because they don't know, you know, don't touch the moose, don't do this. And there's also all of these kind of folk stories that start to come in about creatures, Nissen, I think they're called, 
that are these little kind of gnomish creatures that live in barns and that there's certain things that you have to do. There's rules for them. Like they hate artificial light and they don't like loud noises and you're never allowed to make any structural changes to the barn. And you have to feed them porridge on Christmas Eve with cinnamon. And there's all of these very specific rules. And if you're nice to them, they will help you. It's kind of like the shoemaker thing where if you're really nice to them, um, they will help you. But if you break any of these rules, they will fuck your shit up and probably kill you. And so they start hearing all of these weird stories about them. And then the son, their young son, discovers that they have one in the barn. And he's really nice to it at first. And so suddenly, like, their entire wood pile has been chopped up. And they start finding things repaired around the house. And they think it's their neighbors that are doing it because they're just very welcoming people. And then some of the rules start getting broken. Hmm. And it is this was it was fun. I watched this with my kids. I will call this horror light. It's definitely bloody. Like it's it's incredibly bloody, but it's not grotesque and it's fun and it's always funny at the same time. I'd put it in the same vein of like a Five Nights at Freddy's. So the, I watched this with both of my kids and they just roared the entire time. And I had a lot of fun with it, too, because it was not a legend I was familiar with. Ran a little long for, you know, what I think it could have been. Like, I'm always the one who's going to be like, tighten that movie up. Ran a little long. But that said, it was a blast. Like, this was close to making my top 10 list. It's not doing as well critically, though, which kind of shocks me. I thought Sounds it a fun. bit like Gremlins, a little bit like with it is. rules and whatnot. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a similar setup to Gremlins, but is using a very old folk legend. And the gnomes, like the the actual like barn elves, are so crazily well done, and they're just they're all types of wild. So yeah, that's, there's something in the barn. I rented this off Amazon for like seven bucks. Okay, I have one that is not for your kids whatsoever. Uh, that It was one that I had heard just recently about, and it was only available on Apple for rent, which was kind of strange because there isn't many new horror films that only are available there usually. This one was called Do Not Disturbed, and it's by a guy, John Ainsley. Uh, it was pretty interesting. It's a couple are basically getting going on a kind of a honeymoon even though they've been together a very long time and it's not like it doesn't feel like a traditional honeymoon because they've been a couple for so long uh they're down in miami and they just want to kind of cut loose and the guy seems very interested in just getting as high as he can and she can and she's looking to kind of connect and they're in different places but they've checked into an adults kind of uh hotel and uh they it's a very indie film there's a swinger couple that's kind of hitting on them and they're they're of mixed interest there's some pretty funny scenes of that kind of stuff uh they end up on a beach and this crazy person that whole remember that whole florida kind of bath salt thing where people are turning oh yeah anyway some guy emerges out of the ground like they didn't even know he's there he's in the back of a shot you didn't even know he's there out of his mind and ends up leaving them all this, these bags of drugs. And the husband eventually convinces his wife because they're not getting along great to be like, let's do some hard drugs. They think it's peyote. They don't know what it is exactly in their hotel room. And then the rest of the movie is them not just doing crazy drugs and a lot of it, but also realizing, oh, there's also half eaten body under our bed now and we, oh. we blacked out a whole bunch of time oops and it becomes this kind of basic sexual cannibal weird but the tone is always quite funny and kind of uh messed up a really good performance by the the woman at kimberly laferriere uh again very indie didn't know anything about it except that i was looking up films that i might have missed and uh, i i thought it was pretty fun it's definitely if you're into you know interesting crazy indies it was pretty the drug stuff's pretty fun because you always have to come up with 
original ways to shoot drug trips, especially if there's time being lost and people going on these kind of uh, ups and downs and like missing time. And uh, so that's do not disturb. And maybe it's gone broader a week, a week later. I watched about a week ago. So otherwise Amazon for that one. Wow. Okay, that one sounded a lot of fun. It's interesting. Um, next up, you know, I was really lukewarm on this. I was really looking forward to it because I love folk horror so much, but this, it just didn't do it for me quite as much. This is Lord's Lord of Misrule. Mm. Um, and this one, like to watch the trailer, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be my favorite movie of the year because it does look like Wicker Man at Christmas time. And, you know, using kind of the the European Lord of Misrule pagan mythology. And it is about a woman. She's a a pastor. She moves to this tiny little rural town that has a lot of pagan roots to it. They've got a lot of tradition going on with her daughter. And you get from the start that like her daughter is not very good. Her daughter is like got the sadistic nature to her. There's animal abuse. Like she's just not she's she's messed up. And she gets named kind of they're doing this like this harvest celebration, this massive kind of fall celebration. And the girl gets named like whatever the the harvest princess of this celebration is. And then shortly thereafter goes missing. And as everybody in town is like trying to find her and the, the woman is freaking out about where her daughter is, you slowly start to uncover all of this darker, more paganistic stuff about the town. If I I read online and I completely agree with this sentiment. If A24 had put their logo up at the top of this movie, everybody would love it. Um, But because it's paced like an A24 film, it's yeah, it's getting very mixed. But is it? And the only thing I ever take offense to that, because I hear that all the time, but is is it shot as well as them? Because that's the thing people forget about A24 films look incredible, though. Like they look so good. Okay, I'll it's beautifully shot. I gotta say it is beautifully shot. It is all just these gorgeously candlelit scenes. Mm. Everything's very dark. It's beautifully shot. Um, But nothing really happens until about the 45 minute mark. And then not enough happens to make it really exciting until about the last 15 minutes. And then even that was just kind of like, okay. Um, So I love the premise of this. It looked beautiful. I was definitely compelled the entire way through. I love the folk story behind it. This is William Brent Bell. I mm-hmm. usually I'm a big fan of a lot of his work. This one, it was just a little too dry and slow paced for me. I need I needed more happening in the first 45 minutes. It took its time. Really atmospheric. I will say that like there was never a time that there was not just brimming with atmosphere, but it took its time getting to where it needed to go. And I kind of wanted, you know, the Wicker Man it's not exactly, you know, a speedy film, but there's definitely weird shit happening throughout. Mm-hmm. So um, I kind of needed more of that and less of just, you know, the the girl and the town and things. They weren't weird enough to keep it captivating. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Lords of Misrule, again, if you're in a slow burn heart, this may be your jam. Not quite for me. But, yeah, there's some good stuff in here regardless. A real quickie, because uh, you've already talked about it. A couple months back was on Hulu. There's a film called Clock uh, yep. by Alex Jack now. And there's things I liked about this. Uh, it's a woman. She doesn't. I mean, the character is interesting because the woman uh, played by Diana 
Agron, who was from the mm-hmm. what's that show? The popular uh, High School Musical show where they're always singing. Um, Glee, yeah, Glee. Uh, <laughs> or High School no, no, Musical. No, There's a couple. Yeah, she's from Glee. Glee. She has the blonde and Glee, and here she's brunette. Yes. Uh, she uh, doesn't want children. Has zero interest in having children. But everyone acts like that's a strange thing. Uh, all the friends and and other people on her best friends having a baby and so there's a baby shower at the start and she just isn't interested it's not in her uh, purview at all and then people start pressuring her and she realizes well maybe i should look into it and people basically a doctor there's a scene that i really early on was just like almost made me want to stop even watching because the doctor's like maybe your biological cock's just broken and when i when i hear that it's just such sounds like such complete horseshit to me like that like no i don't is that even a it's not a like literal clock and i don't know there was something in my brain that was just like wait a minute i don't think doctors talk like this you know you're told it's like a hormonal imbalance yeah right but like the wording and the hormones are supposed to make it and i'm fine if somebody said that but i was like when a doctor says i could just be that your biological clock's broken i'm like wait a minute what the fuck are you don't don't listen to this doctor go to a different anyway yeah no it's a movie (laughs) uh and she and she goes to this uh enrolls in a clinical trial and then shit gets kind of weird there where she uh uh, it watches these weird videos and these like deprivation tanks and just she starts seeing the cool thing about it that I really did like is she starts seeing this tall spooky figure that comes to her like a premonition and it is connected to her past which has some interesting roots in Judaism like there, there's some pretty interesting stuff that I wasn't expecting from this movie yeah I, I'm a little burned out I think this is like the fourth or fifth we have the nanny exploitation which is going to come back again this episode which mm-hmm. I'm definitely burned out on and then we also have the pregnant exploitation and especially on Hulu <laughs> I feel like I've seen three or four uh there was that terrible one uh, that had um that had Piers Brosnan I think it was false positive it just didn't work you know there's quite a few of these movies but uh this one has some pretty cool scenes but it they're a little they're sometimes the ones that aren't as involved in the actual story like to the side mm-hmm. of the story but uh this one had but... it had cool nightmare sequences yeah. that was my I liked this movie um for the most part and I remember it had really cool nightmare sequences and I loved the Jewish folklore side because yeah. I wasn't I didn't know anything about that yeah it was a surprise and also it had some it's all Ruben Ruben X in there as her dad and he's always good mm-hmm. it had some pretty cool editing sequences when things get crazy too um I don't know maybe there's with Hulu sometimes I think we did talk about this off air just to they're all based off short yeah films. and this is the second yeah. in a row that i've seen after appendage that both were obviously shorts and both you kind of felt like maybe they need a little more time when you're percolating this the feature length version of a script but again interesting movie uh but uh yeah you you'd already mentioned it yeah um covering one that you had already mentioned which did not make my top 10 venus Ooh, this is another hold one it, where- hold it for later Okay, hold it for later. Hold it for later, but I'll I'll make sure you can talk about it properly. Yeah, okay, and then let's talk about Raging Grace. Yeah, what did you think? Because you saw it right after me, I think. Okay, so this one is getting super high reviews. So I went in, and maybe just my expectations were a little too high. It's um, an immigrant mom from the Philippines with her daughter, and I loved that character. She was just brazen. She is a housekeeper for a living. So she literally spends her day, if you spend the first 20 minutes just following her, as she goes from house to house cleaning. And she does like 10 houses in one day. And it's just continuous work. And then she comes home and she's barely making enough to take care of her daughter. And she is doing something um, illegal to help out a friend of hers and in the process gets a job as a caretaker for a very, very wealthy woman making far more than she ever made cleaning like 10 houses in a day. And technically they were homeless. Like they didn't even have a They were homeless. They just stuck in the houses there if she was cleaning. Yeah. That seems pretty tenuous. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, as she was cleaning houses, they would like 
crash there. And so this one is offering her a room, but they don't know she has a daughter. So she has to keep her daughter hidden there. But that said, it's a huge mansion. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to keep you hidden here. I'm going to make this much money. It's going to be awesome. This doesn't have to be forever, but this will give us enough to have a new life. And her specific job there, in addition to like the cleaning and the cooking, is she is taking care of a very elderly man who is in the process of passing away. And he doesn't seem very coherent most of the time. And, you know, he's basically hooked up to machines and they just have to kind of the family's there to watch him pass away. And that's our setup. And I don't know how much more to say because I don't want to spoil any of the twists. It takes a long time to get going. I liked a lot of the atmosphere. I liked her character was the best part. Like her character and the acting for me was the best part. It did not turn into anything I hadn't seen before. And I really wanted it to. Like I kept waiting for the, oh my God, this is great. I've never seen anything like this moment. And it just didn't get there. It, it but needed what to be think? grosser. Like, like, so when we get to the midpoint twist and we'll just, we'll dance around it, uh, which it involves the old man. It, I feel like once that twist happens, I feel like I had to go a lot further and a lot creepier and a lot weirder. Cause there's a couple of moments where you're like, Oh, that's where it's going. And then it doesn't. And it becomes much more of a character based Peace. thing. It, it reminds me of the one that the other one reason Nanny's exploitation was on my mind was cause it was that one. Oh, I can't remember, but it won Sundance last year and, and I reviewed it at the start of the year for the show. And it was the same thing where it just, it's like they're shot pretty well. They're okay, but they have like these incredibly high reviews. And I'm with both of them, I'm kind of like, what is it? Is it just a social, social message that people are responding to? Because the films themselves are just okay. Uh, or maybe we're just like all like, you know, hardened and I'm like, go full horror. If you're not, you know, be, if yeah. I'm not seeing a body transformation scene, then I'm not, you know, in. Because this is very much, I would struggle to call this a horror movie. Like it's there, but it's definitely kind of every single time that you think it's going to go where you think it's going to go, it just kind of skirts it and backs off a lot. And yeah, so it it really kind of skirts the horror most of the way through. Yeah, and her her daughter's name is Grace. So it's called Raging Grace. Interesting film, also set in the British countryside and almost could have been one of those British Christmas movies, uh, horror movies we like, um, if it had just, you know, taken a few different directions, but decent. Setting, setting was really fascinating. Setting is cool. Character yeah. was really good. I needed the horror to, I needed the horror to feel more comfortable. I love that. I, I forgot the more. name of the Sundance winner when we're talking about nanny exploitation and the title I was looking for is Nanny. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> so that one, that one's shot even better. I actually did like that one more, but they're similar kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, I caught up on a couple of book reads as well. A big one that I want to talk about is Your Lonely Nights Are Over. This is a YA horror, and I don't usually talk about YA horror on a show. A lot of times I'll save that for the deep cut show because I love getting tweets of like, where are you talking about 16-year-old literature and you know, Colors of the Dark? But I'm doing it here because this was a really good book. Your Lonely Nights Are Over, it is about a um, group of high school students that have a queer club. It specifically to- focuses on two high school boys. And these murders start happening at their school to members of the queer club. And they realize that one of their teachers may be a serial killer. And this is, it was really good. That sounds kind of, you know, overwrought yeah, as I'm describing it. Sounded pretty good it. to me. I would have I yeah. watched that. But it's, it was really, really well done. This is honestly, it's one of my favorite books I've read this year, especially in the YA space. Um, I finished one called Chlorine 
which was also more YA oriented about a um, Chinese American swimmer. She's like, she lives for swimming. Um, She's obsessed with the pool. It's all she wants to do. Any other parts of her life, she just wishes she was back in the pool because that's where she feels most comfortable. And this one takes a siren bend Hmm. where she starts feeling these changes and she starts feeling more rage and more connected to the water. And it definitely starts to transform. So this one, YA definitely cool. Um, the weight of blood. I will quickly say um, this one was by Tiffany D. Jackson. I can describe this as African American Carrie, <laughs> um, where girls being picked on and it, the weight of blood. Like it's it's literally like a Carrie reference. And so that one was really good. God, all I did this week was read, and the rest of them I'm gonna save because they're gonna pop up later on my list. I think I'm gonna watch one of my New Year's resolutions is to watch 100 less movies. And read twenty more books, maybe ten more books, Oops. because oh. I'm approaching like five hundred and fifty movies this year, and I'm like, you know what? I don't need five hundred and fifty movies. I can do four hundred and still feel pretty good about watching a lot of movies. You know, um, I'm telling you, books on tape. I'm going to keep preaching this to you, and which reminded me, this was another one that I finished last week because I listened to it on tape. Where the Dead Waits. Oh. This was a really cool Arctic ghost story about a group of explorers where they disappear in the Arctic long ago. And then another group is sent in to try to find them and figure out what happened to them. And it turns into this really cool uh, Arctic ghost story. That is where the dead waits. I think that one just came out like three weeks ago. I want to say I had the galley copy and then I listened to the last part of it while driving last week. And it was good. Are you up to date on that uh, murders at the end of the world? I am I am on episode five. I have three more to go. Okay, I think there's only one left coming. I know. Okay, so I, I did watch the la- the most recent last night. It was good. I'm still. It I'm gets still, good. Yeah, okay. I, I'm kind of back. Like a couple episodes where I'm like, ah, and then I'm kind of circled back into really being curious how they're going to wrap it up. I got to catch back up on that. Uh, really bad. I had three more films, uh, but I'll be quick. Uh, one of them I love, and you will love, but you might want to watch it in a couple um, sittings. The documentary "We Kill for Love." The, this is the three-hour documentary, uh, which seems oh, like Jesus Christ seems like a lot. But once you get going, it, I plan to watch it in two nights, and then I just sat through it, the whole thing. It is about the forgotten direct-to-video erotic thrillers, and um, it's fascinating because wow. there are. When I heard that, and I saw some of the names who were going to be in the right. documentary, like Warnowski and people like that. I'm like, okay, so yes, they cover Fatal Attraction and uh, Sliver and Basic Instinct, but they go so far beyond those to to probably like 50 movies I never, not even haven't heard of, but are even below the ones that I've heard of subgenres and subcategories. And it was so fascinating um, about all the different trends and all the different patterns and it's just, it's quite captivating the way they approach it. They approach it like this weird um, archivist has entered and he's going through, like, almost like if, if you're trying to explain this to aliens, like what this trend in the 90s was. So it's, it's I think it's, you know, probably for your average person, watch an hour a night and it's just a cool little uh, take into the direct-to-video erotic thrillers. It's It was, is a lot of people we know were involved in its making. Um, and I just, I, I didn't think I would, like, have so much fun with it, but it's it's terrific. Uh, high recommendation on that. That's on Amazon. You can watch. We, love it. We kill for okay. love. And I yeah. just added that to my queue. You'll, you'll that definitely. definitely yeah. Sounds like, you know, I read this really great article yesterday on why theaters want to bring back the, the intermission. Yeah. yeah. Um, and apparently. Well, wait, did you have intermission when you were little or not? Because in New Zealand, I did. No. Interesting. So not. I wonder but when that ended did. here. Yeah. 
We did at the drive-in because I, when I was a kid, most of the movies I saw because we had a drive-in in my hometown, but for many years, we would have to drive one town over to go to like an indoor theater. Um, we didn't get one of those till I was almost in middle school. But at the drive-in, there was always an intermission because that they wanted people to go buy more snacks. But yeah, so we didn't at the regular theater. Yeah. But what this was specifically talking about was talking about Killers of the Flower Moon yeah. and about how a lot of the theaters were really concerned about the length. And this is smaller theaters like mom and pop theaters where they can do this certain thing that some theaters, there was one in Colorado and one in Florida had put an intermission in and said, okay, we're going to play an hour and a half. 15 minutes, we'll finish it up the next like three and a half hours or however fucking long it is. It's super long. And apparently then the studio sued them and said, you cannot show it like that. We are charging. You're going to have to pay fees back to us because you did this. But the the theater is like, and I get it from the theater's perspective. They're saying, okay, look at that length. We can only show it twice a day. Yeah. Um, so you're limiting our screening time. And with that, you're cutting down on our popcorn sales because that's where we make money. And if we can't be bringing constantly people in every two hours, we're losing money. But if we do an intermission, they can come out and buy more snacks. And I get it. I totally get it. I also get filmmaker vision and not wanting to have your movie interrupted. But if you're making a three and a half hour movie, you have to assume at some point people have to go use the bathroom. I, I think it's bad. Yeah. I mean, I think it's would be smart as the filmmaker to want that because if you're making Oppenheimer mm-hmm. and you've planned exactly when that break is, you know that somebody isn't missing a critical scene because like the amount of yeah. movies I've gone to with you where you if you you're just you have to naturally go to the bathroom or something, it's like you're going to miss something. Wait, I, I have to go to the bathroom. Go. Every yeah. hour on the hour. It's in fact, just, you missed my favorite kill is. in one of the movies that will be in our top I ten. And I and I remember I you walking did. back, and I was like, "Oh, that was such a good kill." Um, That's it's a constant thing yeah. where midway through the movie, I will have to step out to go to the bathroom, and then I will come back in and say, "Elric, fill me in." Well, you and time then he it has pretty to good. Recap. I, I, I always I watch try. you I always, always try. watching the net because you understand screenplay so well. So you're always going, "Well, this is going to be a natural break," but in a horror film, that doesn't always work out because of yeah. the crazy. Connection. I'm always like, "Okay, I feel like after this." kill there's going to be a solid 10 minute lull before it picks back up and so that's when i'll usually try to time it right after a kill and it doesn't always i'm certainly in fact look i'm a little mixed as a kid i loved it because it was a chance to go back out and get more candy and i I really dug it i'm growing up in new zealand with that um i think for kids movies that's a great idea because like if you go to spider verse and it's two hours you know, most kids are, have about a one hour time span, mm-hmm. and then they're going to come back in and be coked up again on on sugar and be all into it again. So that that to me sounds like a good and and with a movie as long as uh, like Flowers Moon surprised me because I didn't feel the time, but that doesn't mean it isn't long. It's super long. I just because of the way it was paced, I, I didn't feel that time. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think I think it's I think it's something worth exploring again because yeah. it also makes movies, especially event movies like big Marvel movies. Like, why not? It's an event. Yeah, you know, have a it's break, have a break, sell yeah. more, make more money, and make everyone happy. You know. It would also make me go more because like Strummer really wanted to see he's obsessed with Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Like we've watched every single one of the movies many, many times and he really wanted to go see the new one. But that thing was like Pretty two long, and a half hours yeah. long. And I'm like, he's seven. I, I can't get him through that. Yeah. Like he's going to have to go run laps around the theater and then we could come back in and finish. But I ended up taking him and we had to do our self intermission where midway through 10 minutes, we had to go outside, use the bathroom, get another drink, have some junior men's, do a couple laps and then go back in and sit down. And we missed 15 minutes of the movie. And anyway, it's a debate to continue. Yeah. I don't think I'd want it for a 90 minute movie. Here. I must say mm-hmm. like for like if we were watching a horror film that mean you went to see um, and, and it's 90 minutes like a smile or something. I don't think yeah. I would want to break in that kind of a movie. So I guess it's not a one to one. 
Uh, anyway, uh, last couple. One I was hoping you would have seen, but hopefully next you'll watch it soon. Uh, this is the big Netflix one, the Leave the World Behind. This- That's two and a half hours. I is didn't it? have time yeah, this week. No, no. And this is Sam Esmail. I mostly wanted. I do. I love Sam Esmail. Yeah, his stuff's really smart and really interesting. A couple of my friend Brian really liked it. Uh, our friend Dick really liked it. Gave it like four stars. I didn't love it. I, I liked it. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, I didn't. Some of the CGI sometimes just can take me quickly out of a movie. Uh, but but it's it's a family. Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke. They live in Brooklyn with their two kids. They wake up one morning and she's like, you know what? I've booked us an Airbnb. And he's like waking up like, what? Like, where, where are we going? And they're going out to, you know, to spend a weekend at the beach. And it's kind of spur of the moment. And she has a great monologue to open the movie where she's like, I look out the window and everyone's just doing stuff. And then I realize I don't like people. <laughs> and it's just quite funny, <laughs> like quite relatable. Uh, she uh they go out there and they book this amazingly huge house uh like just gorgeous that's where they're gonna spend the weekend they have two teenagers and um they go to the beach and when they're at the beach this there's a moment where they're just lying on the beach and a giant ship like a oil tanker just keeps coming closer and closer and closer and closer and then they're like wait a minute why is it coming so close and you realize it's coming onto the beach and it's not stopping and that's like the first thing and then you start seeing deer acting weird and then so they basically at this house their cell phones don't work everything starts going dark and you realize that you don't know exactly it, it holds its cards pretty close all the way through and i'm not going to ruin it but uh about what's actually happening is this an attack on america is this like just some sort of blackout is this a, a cyber attack like you don't know because you won't know because you'll have no information when this happens because you won't have a phone or a tv or a radio so so it's pretty interesting how it starts ramping up the thing it gets weirder and when it gets weirder it gets better in my opinion um mahershala mahershala sorry ali uh you know won the oscar a couple years ago and an actress uh maya from bodies 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 um is his daughter in this they show up and he's wearing a tuxedo and they're like this is our house and and the and you know Ethan Hawke and Julia Roberts like no it's not we rent it and Julia Roberts gets to be be a bit of a Karen in it which is kind of fun to watch um, and uh, Mahershala is like no no seriously it's our house I rented it to you um, and we were in the city and there's a blackout and now we want to come here and stay because we're worried about what's going to happen and there's a whole like do we trust them do we not are they going to let them in and there's also a cross town a guy played by Kevin Bacon who has been stocking up prior to this happening and people noticed it. So they're wondering, does he know stuff they don't know? Really intriguing stuff. The thing that scared me was after the movie. I like the movie. I like it's It's a solid movie. Um, after the movie, I read that Obama was the, he was an EP, but he also was the main consultant to Sam Esmail really? about what wow. happened. And that part, that's... and that's why it's scary. Because when you're watching this, you're like, "Oh man, I guess that could happen." I guess. And if Obama from inside is telling you this is how it would go down, it makes the whole thing quite a bit scarier because he's that's... been in the room. That's really fascinating, actually. Yeah. That just intrigued me even more than just you know horror film with Julia Roberts. I have a weird feeling this would have made your top ten. Like I just have a feeling, like knowing Dick and, and thinking everyone's because it's very much about the ideas. It's like scary mm-hmm. ideas and. Uh, there was nothing specific like that that I wasn't into. Maybe, well, I will say, so the film that I worked on with my, our friend Dalila that's coming out, like it's it started to play at festivals and stuff. It's almost like the no budget version of this. It's like got so many of the same ideas, like especially with the animals and kind of nature's retort to things like this. And so it was kind of weird to watch this big budget kind of version of this, of a similar idea. Not not that they're connected. Um, that might have taken me out a little bit. But um, interesting film. Leave the World Behind on Netflix. 
um, with big, big stars, you know, cool to see Julia Roberts challenging herself um, and not taking it easy because it's not the easiest role she's playing. Um, nice. And the last one I watched was one I had to fit in because Dick had raved about it and it was pretty good called Blood. Um, I don't know if you saw this. I've one. heard of this one. This was on my list and I didn't get yeah, to it. It didn't make my it didn't end up making my list. Uh, it's Brad Anderson, who has made some pretty great films. Session nine. Um, this is a kind of a new take on the vampire. Uh, it's Michelle Monaghan uh, and Skeet Ulrich are uh, separated parents. She's now moved because of a bad relationship. And she's moved with her two kids to this farm that she used to live on and doesn't seem that thrilled to be there. And she wasn't a great mom. She was like a bit of a drug addict. And that was caused a bunch of problems in her relationship. And her son loves their dog and something happens to the dog. Uh, kind of mysteriously out in the in the woods. And when it comes back, it's brutal, goes a little Cujo, bites the kid. And from that moment, the kid needs blood. And that's all I'll say. It's pretty interesting. It's definitely realistic. It's treated, uh, as Dick said, it, it's one of the most King setups you've ever seen. Stephen King type setups, even though it's not a King movie. And he's right. It really is. And it's pretty intense. It's it's very grounded. Um, just lacked something that I was looking for in that moment when we're kind of finalizing our lists. Um, but interesting, interesting film. Um, and that came out a few months back called Blood. I heard that Skeet Ulrich is really good in it. Yeah, that so. was what intrigued me the most. Yeah, he's so. he's he's kind of like the side player though, you know, like the dad. Um, but it's 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 an interesting, you know, that guy makes hard movies. Like he doesn't make. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not a light. <laughs> he's not hard light or anything. Um, but yeah, it's always I always like to see new takes or like new kind of twists on vampire ideas. You know, it's always fun. Um, so that is what we've been watching. Yeah, um, it was a lot. I, yeah. I every well, year cramming. I do this yeah. where like we're cramming in and I'm watching like two a night and trying to make sure I've got everything and catching up on TV shows and everything. So yeah. Um it gave me a clear picture and I knew I could go into my top 10 and my top 5 other things knowing that I have seen the majority did the of the work. stuff this season. Yeah. We do the work. We now that's let's say somebody always writes me at the last minute and they're like, "What about these two? And then I'll look them up. Somebody wrote me a couple of days ago in Letterboxd or something and sent me two and they're both ones that haven't come out on this America that were they premiered at like Fantastic Fest, like cool sounding movies. Uh the Red Rooms or something looked really cool, but they're, they're Is not that available. Based on the comic? I don't know. There, there was multiple films with that title, but that was one. It was in French, I think, the title. So it was like... Probably French. not. So there is a brutal comic out called The Red Room mm. um, that I read occasionally. It's honestly almost a bit much for me. Because that's a killing room, effectively, that, right? A red room? Yeah. It's like a, yeah. yeah. And the comic is, again, it's almost a bit much for me. There are days that I can handle it and other times when I read four pages and I'm like, okay, I need a break. Um, This does not seem to be based on the comic by any stretch. But if anybody out there is like totally brutal, you should check out Red Room. That's it's kind of the wildest comic you can find right now. Um, Yeah, this, ooh. This looks good. Yeah, it's, I, so I appreciate. I do appreciate people who write to us giving us those because some of the, a couple that made it on my This is there. Red Rooms. It's for a Canadian psychological film. Um, yeah, definitely has not made its way down here yet outside of Fantasia. No, yeah, we have not seen it. Festivals, that's the, the great thing about them. Um, yeah. All right, so what we're going to do, uh, this is going to be brief, I, I figure. Um, we're going to, uh, well, this part, we're going to do our five other hearts because our other part might yeah, be Yeah, this is going to be like the shortest show we do of the year, yeah, I'm no, sure. This part's going to be brief. I mean, the, the top 10 we'll get to, but we're going to do our five other hard things too so we can keep the main event for the, uh, the other film. So uh, do you want to go, are, you, are yours in order? of your five things or is it just two rounds they are okay. no yeah, well, i always put things in order yeah. that's how you make a proper list well my top 10 is but these five things i i could do either way ah, i put them in order so in my fifth place of other things in horror space that i thought kicked ass oh. this year i put 
The Last of Us. Mm, yeah, really good. Which this, I have been um, sick to death of zombies. I've been sick to death of The Walking Dead. I haven't watched The Walking Dead in years. Um, even if zombie films come came out, I would have to be convinced to watch them. Like somebody would have to be like, you have to see Train to Busan. And I would go, God, I'm sick of zombies. And they'd go, yeah, but it's not about the zombies. And then I'd go watch it and cry. And uh, so for me to become obsessed with what is at its core, basically, you know, it's a fungus, but it's still a zombie show is big. It has to be really good. And then going to uh, L.A. Comic-Con two weekends ago and seeing that this, in a sense, has become kind of the new Walking Dead. Like this was everywhere and there were people dressed up like it and people, you know, kind of doing the whole character thing and shirts. And it was nice to see. Um, some horror media kind of taking that stronghold again, where Stranger Things has been um, or where Walking Dead was, where it is this mass level of fandom. And so I deeply enjoyed it. And I'm just glad that something made it into mass discussions to um, mainstream discussions. And Last of Us did that this year. So I wanted to include it. And again, it does it because of the emotion. It does it because yeah. of the um the Shogun assassin setup, like, you know, yeah. an older man, younger girl. It's, it's great. Uh, super fun. Yeah. My number five, very simple. will surprise absolutely no one. I just gave it to you for your present, but my favorite release on disc is Messiah of evil from radiance. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I got this version that also had the little booklet, which I haven't read yet, but it's uh, Bill Ackerman friend of the show uh, wrote one of the essays and Amanda Reyes um, really cool. Very much. You know, this is one of my favorite movies and well, one of both of our favorite movies. And oh, yeah. it has always had kind of shitty quality versions. You know, eventually there was a, um, you know, uh, blue. What was it? Bill Olsen, uh, you know, Blu-ray that was decent. But this is mm-hmm. a big step up. And so Archive Worlds, this is the one you want, guys. If you're only yeah. going to buy it once, Messiah of Evil. Looks beautiful. OK, in my number four spot is a book, one that I just talked about, I guess, back in October. And this is What Kind of Mother by um, Clay McLeod Chaplin, who is bit Chap- Chapman, who has been on our show before. This is, I've discussed this on the show. This was the one about the psychic in Virginia, on the uh, eastern shore of Virginia, downward crabs along the bay. And one of her high school friends shows up and says his son went missing years ago. They never found him. And he won her help finding them because he thinks he's still alive and this goes bonkers places where i did not expect it to go but never once was i bored this was the type of book where i just had to keep reading where i would say i'm just gonna read a chapter before bed and like five chapters later i'm like i'm gonna kick myself at 7 a.m and i'm still reading like i just couldn't Mm -hmm. put it down so this one it's not a traditional horror story it's not wherever you think it's gonna go it doesn't go there it's not that um but if you're looking for something weird and something really lovecraftian what kind of mother definitely pushes there. Nice. And for those who are listening to this and have never realized, we do currently have these episodes on YouTube. And I am actually pulling up things because at the last second before recording, I realized, hey, I've got some of these things. So I'm going to pull some of them up. Uh, so if you're looking for pictures of things, go to listen to YouTube. Uh, my next one is the Scary Movies Writer's Guide from Seth Ooh. M. Sherwood, who I met for the first time in real life this weekend at our friend Amma's wedding and talk to, told him how much I dug this. And I'll show you just so you understand why it's so cool. It's like the images. It's this kind of old. Oh, yeah. It's not just like some lame workbook. It's like those are beautiful. It's like a, it feels like looking at an EC comics, how mm. to write a screenplay. And it's just got fun little um, like 
you know, plot points and guides and like tropes and ideas for when I think if you kind of are just feeling like flatline, it could be a fun reanimator. It's not, you know, it's not going to be a whole film school, but it's really neat and it's thin and it's not like some boring workbook. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool and very creative. So that is the scary movie writer's guide. I think I got that on Amazon. And I got a, I guess it was a galley. Mine did not, I got a PDF and mm. mine did not have those beautiful pictures. Oh, that's it, a big so difference. Gotta, yeah, it's really I got to pick that up. Okay, in my number three spot, also a book, um, which I'm excited because a couple of our friends have a book club, kind of a horror book club called the Losers Book Club, um, which is everybody who's been on the show before. It's like Bria Grant and um, Chelsea and Sean. Sean. Yeah, a lot of our prior guests have this this horror-centric book club here in LA, and they are reading this this week, and I was super excited. This is Boys in the Valley by Philip Francassi. And this is one, I think I read this back during the summer. And this is about the boys school. It's a boys orphanage that is run by monks and uh, very old timey in Pennsylvania. It's very rural, set apart. It's freezing cold there. The boys are not, they're, they're mistreated. Like it's a shitty place. They're not abused to the point of that's what the story is about. It's just no one there really cares about them. They're very much orphans. A couple of the monks are more giving than the other ones, but the guy who runs the place is just a total sadistic asshole. And one day this guy shows up, says, um, we just happened upon this group of people that were eating a kid and he's out of his mind and we shot him and we need to bring him inside and see if you can nurse him back to health and if there's anything that they can do. And they bring the guy inside and he is clearly possessed by something um, like they, they when they found him, he was eating a kid and um, they, the cop shot him and have or the local sheriff shot him and brought him here. And whatever it is slowly starts to infect the entire monastery. And it's not just going one person to person, it's infecting it. And so it's infecting the orphanage and everybody within it. This was slow crawl, but always really punchy. It's like Lord of the Flies-ish with a possession bend to it. And so this was another one where I couldn't put it down where it'd be like 2 a.m. And I'm like, oh, God, I have to be up in four hours and I can't stop reading. So that is Boys in the Valley. I think this released back in March and I probably covered it in June or thereabouts. OK, uh, yeah, that does sound like a red one. Um, my number three is also a novel. It And it's kind of novel. It's a novel, almost a you know kind of thin 70s novel that you could read almost in one sitting. It, it's I picked it even though it's not new. I picked it because it was my favorite thing I read this this year. Um, it is very old. Me and you have talked about oh. it. It's called Blood Fever. Great cover. It is. Uh, I wouldn't be talking about it if I had, in fact, procured the rights because I'd be hiding this book. But in fact, I failed to procure the rights because they wanted a lot more money. So I did try. I went all the way down to get this because this feels like a lost. Romero film is what it feels like to me. It feels like somewhere between Crazies and Rabid, like between that and Cronenberg. It is, it really is so cinematic and it's exactly the kind of thing I would have loved to have done, but it's, um, it is out of print. So this might cost you $75 just to find a copy. If you go on eBay, you might get lucky for $5 because it's not like it's great quality. So put it on your radar. It is, uh, it just literally opens with a guy coming home from work. Uh, when he left to go to work, his wife wasn't feeling great and he gets home from work. She is now full, crazy, psychotic mode, not there at all animal, basically. And what happens very quickly is every single woman, every single woman in the town turns into this state of being. And and they are only driven to attack and kill the men. 
And so you enter the thing and, and what's, what could make that? It's like not misogyny because it's kind of like the reverse. It's written by Shelley Hyde and she, you know, she ended up under different, this is a pseudonym from what she actually wrote ton, that she didn't write many books under this name, maybe just this. She wrote tons of science fiction books under a totally different name, uh, you know, just from me digging to try to find out about the rights. And she, um, what's cool about it is there's one and it's not, they don't all get it at the same time. So it's not like instant. So there is one woman working in a science lab and this is all happening over like a 48 hour period. So it's like a virus movie. Like you're watching virus and you're charting the virus and they're coordinating people off and other times and they don't know it's all woman. It takes a while, but there's this one woman working in the lab and she's literally trying racing against the clock to try to cure it herself before she turns into some animalistic thing herself and it's which is also exciting and just some of the characters some of it is so vicious and so gnarly that i was like damn this would be such a fucking good little movie um but you know you never know maybe in time uh it could happen or maybe somebody wealthier than me like a, a company i was i was gonna say there's a studio book scout listening yeah, to this right fine. now that just got the right like they can, paramount they can has thank it now me. sorry it might be too nasty <laughs> for them though because that's the thing this is very much a 70s movie not a not a contemporary one and if you if done well and so you know you could of course the concept's great of people going crazy but it, it just has some images and i really uh, i wouldn't talk about it if i didn't want to share love because i do want people to to read this because it really is uh, a very neat little novel and like you know you could read in two sittings kind of book so that is shelly hyde's blood fever look at antique for those with used bookstores near them i would start there just in case if you get lucky you know an out of print book like that wow that one yeah that is that is beautiful such and such a cool idea okay my next one is a comic and this is by dark horse i don't even think i ever mentioned on the show that it was announced that i'm doing a dark horse comic hey guys Mm. that was a cool announcement from this year i'm doing a dark horse comic that comes out next fall called barstow um but in the meantime i have been reading a ton of comics as i've been writing it and so i read where monsters lie this is a dark horse comic by kyle kyle starks and this one i'm gonna say it and it sounds so absolutely ludicrous and that what makes it so wonderful it is about a gated community a private gated community that is inhabited entirely by serial killers and they basically come here to retire and it's a couple of different families and it's not like they're all different types of serial killers so like one house is like the crazy guy who dresses up like a clown and uses a flamethrower and you know just the the over the top terrifier clown um like art the clown has a house and then the next house over is the woman with the two um not bright sons who wear sacks on their head and kill peoples with chainsaws and then two houses over are the redneck torture family and then um the house next to it is a perfectly normal looking guy who is the most sadistic of all of them and then the woman who carries around a puppet but the puppet kills people and so it's like a whole neighborhood inhabited by like retired serial killers and it's very private and they keep to themselves and it's how they stay off the grid and one day a group of kids are like i wonder what's on the other side of this fence yeah i've always wondered myself we've lived here for years i never knew and they break into the town and then it just explodes from there. It's got notes of devil's rejects. When I was looking at other uh, people's reviews of it, people were saying like it's cabin in the woods meets Tucker and Dale meets devil's rejects where it is this it's 
funny. It is so funny and so self-aware of all the horror tropes. I can see the cabin in the woods because it's basically like somebody went through every horror film and figured out what the serial killer tropes are and then plopped them all in a neighborhood together. It's great. I love this. Like watching them like manicure lawns and take out their trash and argue about, you know, what, what day trash pickup is and things like that. It was hilarious. And so um, I ended up picking up the the collected volume of this, um, which I think has like the first four or five issues in it. But this kept going and I'm going to keep going with it. This was by far one of my favorite reads of the year. Just absolutely wrong in every sense. Hyper bloody, so brutal, but hilarious. This is Where Monsters Lie from Dark Horse by Kyle Starks. That's funny because I woke up this morning and I sometimes will scroll X. I guess I'm still not used to calling it that Twitter. Uh, and the first thing I saw was it was a video of John Wayne Gacy in just casual conversation from when he, his time in jail with some reporter. And he's like being very critical of other serial killers and talking about it's very snobby and like oh yeah i mean Dahmer, i mean he's crazy like and i'm just listening to this like going what the hell are you, you're you're a guy uh, you dressed as a clown and killed boys and buried them in your house like it's so weird when you hear these people like almost like a shared universe is just too bizarre for me yeah um so yeah. that's what this is but if it was in the vein oh, of like a yeah. cabin in the woods yeah. or like a tucker and dale it's very fun less disgusting because they aren't real killers uh, yes. Which is good. Okay, my favorite thing I read this year, uh, bar none, I just posted about it, and it's not horror per se, but I want to recommend it. It is this called Blood of the Virgin, and it won't mm-hmm. be for everyone. This is a uh, a collected work, so they were um, a single uh, comics called Cricket, I believe, uh, by uh, a comic uh, artist from out here called Sammy Harkham. And this is set in the 70, 1971. Uh, it's an, about an editor uh, working for a cor- basically a Corman studio. It's almost exactly is Corman model. And he's trying to get a leg up, trying to get into directing a film. They're making a film called Blood of the Virgin. And it's not the only horror really is the thing they're making. Everything else is just about working on sets and who you who you meet. And it's probably closer to something like Babylon, but set in the 60s. Mm-hmm. But like way more in my bag than Babylon. Like I just, I, every time I picked it up, I was like, did somebody write this for me? Like, did somebody literally just make me this? And then I read about it, and this is 14 years in the making he's been working on this. Um, wow. So those issues were spanning 14 years, and you wouldn't be able to tell from reading through. But, like, when I say it feels just for me, he's married to a New Zealand woman who uh, has, and they have a baby, and he's really struggling with that. They're Like, their home life is a real struggle. And then at one point, she goes back to New Zealand, and there's a whole issue set in New Zealand where she's, like, on the farm and not sure if she wants to return to her husband who's, like, trying to work on movies. I mean, I was, I was reading this thing going, Jesus Christ, this is so fucking rad. It's, it's just terrific. And um really just excited to learn more about what else uh he has done i believe he is one of the was one of the original co-owners who actually owned the building of the cine family silent theater for a period um because the family i assume is the harkums but um like harkham theater chain or whatever i'm i that mm-hmm. part i'm guessing it but um either way i post about loving it and he, he actually wrote on my post saying big fan of yours and i was like oh so that's cool oh that's the show i don't know that I put that on my Christmas list. Yeah. Like every year, my mom asked me for like a Christmas list and I hand her the most fucked up list of media ever. And she's reading it. She's like, blood of a virgin. And I'm like, supposed to be great, Yeah, pro- And it's very non-hard. So- but I do think you would still think it's really cool. It has this one issue right in the middle because all of it's following that story. And there's one issue that's it's all black and white. And in the middle, there's one full issue, like 30 pages in color. And it's not about it's set like 
80 years earlier, like 1925, some cowboy who comes to Hollywood, he's just a cowboy, comes to Hollywood to try to make it. And it charts the entire flow of somebody like going to the, and it's so brilliant. Like it's better than Babylon, that one comic, but like much more cynical. And it's, I don't know, it's just cool. Cool when you read things that are totally your interest, not necessarily horror, but um, if people are into that kind of thing, they will dig Blood of the Virgin. Um, Very cool. What is your number one? Will we have a shared number one? I assume so. What is your favorite TV series? Yes. House of Usher. Yeah. This was just outstanding. And and for the record, we pivoted just so people understand. Because there was some talk a couple weeks ago that we were going to just do a top 10 mixture of things. And a couple weeks ago, me and Becca were like, you know what? Let's keep to movies. So we give. Yeah, let's let's give 10 movies a shot because we knew we wanted to get a lot of independent and underseen stuff on the list yeah. as well um and i have a feeling everybody knows of house of usher at this point but yeah well, this you think so just... but sometimes i think they just maybe they get put off by one of the other shows and then they don't come back to it i think this is one of his best things he's done i would say it is the best thing he's so done. strong um, like they're like yeah. like bruce greenwood in this gives one of the best performances of the year and he was a replacement <laughs> for for an actor who got fired and he comes in and like because Usher is just kills it. In this it's show. so captivating. Like there was never a character that I felt put off by. There was never a time that I wasn't interested in what happened. It was just, I really enjoyed this show. It was so visually tantalizing. Have you like, heard the negative so about it? A lot of people struggled with, a lot of people who didn't keep watching struggled with them not being likable characters. So this, Oh, they're terrible right, characters. Right, which is the fun. It, it's exactly like um, the show that just finished with Brian Cox that and every time I yeah. try to remember it, I forget the title. Um, but like about a wealthy family, like once you get past that, you it becomes fascinating. I don't know. Like, like, I love that. the Righteous Gemstones right. and everybody's horrible in that. Like Schmidt's yeah. Schitt's Creek I used to watch all the time. And those are all, I mean, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Like I love the shows where everybody is terrible. Yeah, and that's what um, this So is. this, I was yeah. just like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, and everyone's so, good yeah. in it. Each, each episode was basically the death of one of his children as mm-hmm. he's uh, losing his empire for reasons that lie in the past. And I wouldn't want to say, but the most brilliant thing it does outside of being brilliantly acted, a great cast, really great, right? It, it makes Poe feel completely relevant. And that's oh my very gosh, hard yeah. to do. If, if that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, so what, that was my biggest thing is Poe, when you read, it feels stodgy. It feels difficult to update. And this did it flawlessly. Yeah, by, by just giving you just enough of the poetic uh, elements of it but mixed with a modern take on the fables themselves and it's it's really i i just yeah. if this was in the main chart it'd be in the top three for sure mm-hmm. it's it's just that strong um yeah and yeah definitely I, I think it's in one of his top two film uh tv projects so far to me like right up there totally. so, great stuff okay um, so those are our five not films not okay films. so let's quick bathroom power. break quick bathroom break okay. and then let's come back and do this All right, welcome back. Here we go. Uh, we are going to count down our top 10 horror films of 2023. We will, as always, be enacting the Bromley rule, named after Sir Patrick Bromley from F This Movie, who probably this exists on many other places, but he's the one we lifted it from. So it doesn't matter. The Bromley rule. It's the Bromley rule, which just means that if you're placing something that somebody else happens to have higher, you will table that conversation until it's placed higher, and then you'll both talk about it. Um, just so we get, for the sake of time, we're not repeating ourselves. So that's the only rule. Uh, let's talk just general. How How'd you feel putting a 10 together? I ended up being a lot happier 
with my like feeling really good about a 10, but but couldn't have done a 20, unlike other years where I could have easily done a 20. You know, I think I would have struggled with a 20 yeah. as well. I was um my top four were like a hundred percent. These were my four best films yeah. of the year. And then amidst all of the others, it was kind of, you know, it could be at five, it could be at 10. Like it was just like they all just kind of were there in a lump. It wasn't very um, layered for me like it usually is. And yeah, this year, at least compared to last year, felt a little bit lighter. Last More year, highs I last was, year for sure. Yeah, yeah. Last year, I was fighting. You know, I had so many titles that I it was a struggle to make my top 10. This year, it was not a struggle to make the top 10. And I did not have as many cast offs as I did previous years yeah even though we watched a lot of films I, I i definitely felt it was a weaker year but that doesn't mean that the ones we're about to talk to are weak i mean more no. like the more like when i of the 75 movies i might have watched the bottom 45 are all kind of like eh, you know um yeah. versus some years some but on the plus side horror absolutely dominated at the box office again yes. this year did killer mm-hmm. movies like from saw x to you know just movies that scream six yeah like yeah. are buoying the non the new nun exactly. film. So they might not great. be on yeah. the list, but they are all great signs of what we all mm-hmm. do and our love of this genre continuing to be something that is always profitable. And but pe- but more importantly, it's it's just that people want it. People like yeah. watching these movies. Uh and we're part of that. So we're gonna do it and see where we well, go. Well, we should also say these are our personal faith yes. movies. If I was to make a list of the 10 most historically important films that came out this year, it would be vastly different. If Hard to I do was in to the same a, year, too. Hard to yeah, ever do that if, historically. It's always well, thinking like, objective. you know, what it did for box right. office or like, you know, what trend it buffed or things like that. Or if I was to make a list of the 10 best made horror films of yeah. the year, it would be completely different. This is our personal favorites which means you get a lot of weirdness in there it's, because we tend to have pretty eclectic it's taste. about a i would have quit podcasting a year into it if it was about like this is the top 10 movies that you like i do not care about that that kind of commentary personally uh i like the hey i might turn you on to one movie you haven't seen in my yeah. top 10 and cool so yeah we used to make those lists when we were doing the blumhouse website where we would do like the 10 best horror films of the year and it was always kind of you know you had to pick kind of the biggest hits of the year and that yeah it never excited me as much as okay here's the weird shit that you might have missed and that's where i'm definitely rooting myself this year yeah so we are going to start with 10 so again if if once you say the title if the other person has it higher we'll book table i think the most interesting thing about us doing this though it tends to be guessing how many we'll have in common because a couple years we've had a couple years where we have very few in common which always surprises me given that we see a lot of the bigger ones together together we see most movies in the theater we go to together i don't know if last year was like two or three but i think it was around two or three last year maybe only two i think we had three last year how many do you want to guess i'm guessing because of the kind of year it is i'm gonna guess three I'm going to go four. Yeah, it's not going to be a lot. I'm going to guess Because I think some of the weird ones aren't going to be the same. same. And then a couple of the big ones definitely will be. Uh, but I'd be shocked if we have them in the same place. Again, who knows? Well, I would Let's too. find out. But so, okay, but so we're both I'm, guessing I'm three I'm going to go four. higher. Okay. You said three. I'm going to say four. You know what? Just to be wild, I'm going to say five. Okay, so. I'm going to I'm gonna be baller move here. I'm going to say that we have five this So time. no one wins Half if it's four. List. If it's three and below, I win. If it's five and above, you win. Five and above, I take it. Um, okay. Okay, so let's do it. Do Who wants to do 10? Do you want to 
Well, I'm going to kick off one that with one that I don't think is going to be on your list, okay. um, but it, because I, I think that, you know, there were other films that spoke to you more, but I love my Lovecraft in any form. And I had a blast with this one. And that is Suitable Flesh at my number 10 spot directed by Joe Lynch. And uh, I had seen because I this was kind of a sister project to Glorious where they use the same team. They use the same they shot in the same town. It's the same production company amp. And so while I was shooting Glorious, they were in prep for this. So my team, my little team, like as we're wrapping Glorious, they're spending their evenings doing like the line budgets on Suitable Flesh. So I got to see it kind of from the ground up as they were going with it. And seeing, you know, this script had been floating around for a really long time, like back Stuart Gordon was supposed to direct it. Um, It's been floating around for that long. And then seeing kind of the spin that Joe Lynch put on it, how they updated it, what they did to it, what how they took a frankly stodgy story by Lovecraft about two very academic dudes being seduced and stuff like that. It's, you know... It, seeing the modern day twists that they took on it and how they still really preserve the Lovecraftian side and that it does feel like a love letter to Stuart Gordon. And I 90s. had a blast. Yeah, erotic thriller. Though. Oh, 90s erotic thrillers sure. and Stuart Gordon all the way. Yes. And so Bonnie this is my- For those who my, you don't know, yeah. Oh yeah, it's a total Lovecraftian body swap. This is my fave Joe Lynch film so far. I, I agree with that. I actually, it's just off my list, but not by much. Uh, it is a lot of fun. And I think he did a good job with the energy of it. And a couple of the performances are super interesting too. I really like the young guy in it. He would like surprise me just as a performance. Um, yeah. It would pair very well with my number 10, like perfect pairing because it's also about uh, sex basically. And that was one of the first films I saw this year called Candyland. And I don't know if you saw this one yet or not. I don't recall. I didn't. And I saw this pop up on other people's top 10 list. It's really, it was one of the first films. It was the first film I liked this year. Like when I was like, whoa, did not expect that. Cause it opens like with this great, like tracking shot of a truck stop and the kind of girl passing other girls, getting in the truck, taking off her clothes and like quite explicitly fucking a trucker. And you're like, huh? Oh, okay. I didn't know we made movies like this anymore. So it's kind of a bit like X in that it's a throwback. It's definitely has the feeling without using cheesy filters of a seventies, uh, truck stop movie. Um, and it's all set at this one truck stop and an adjoining motel in the middle of nowhere in the desert. Uh, this group of like, uh, four friends who are also all prostitutes at this truck stop. And they're all, there's a madame who works there as well. And it's a very different kind of world than just a typical prostitution kind of thing, because you're talking bathrooms, back of trucks. Like it's much more dangerous and they outline the dangers to it. And one of them is a guy, Owen Campbell, who's also from uh, X and other, he's been in uh, super dark times, really interesting actor popping up in a lot of best stuff. And he's, you know, he's, he turns gay tricks and he's really good in this. And William Baldwin enters this movie at one point as this really kind of not a terrible, oh, he's bad in some ways like uh sheriff, but in other ways, he's not as bad as some of the characters in this Uh very interesting movie, but Olivia Licardi is a part of this cult, religious cult that lives nearby that happens to stop by here. Um, and they're condemning all of this prostitution and they're handing out flyers saying, you know, uh, the end of the world's coming, blah, blah, blah. And at some point she runs away from that cult and stores in with these people. And they say, they basically say, you can stay here, but you got to turn tricks if you stay here because this isn't free rent. So here's this person always clinging to this cross that she always has with her. 
Uh, and uh, if you don't want to know any more about this movie, this would be the moment to stop. But I'm gonna I tell you, there's no way I can sell it otherwise. Uh, what what we quickly find out, so spoiler from this moment on for the next few seconds. Uh, what we find out is that cross opens up to be a dagger, and it becomes a slasher film where she stabs to death many different men who are trying to have sex with her, and it becomes a pretty crazy slasher movie set in this world. And it's kind of fucking cool. And it's actually grown. Like when I first saw, it, I really liked it and kind of forgot about it when I was doing this list. And then a couple of days ago, I was like, you know what? This is actually a really cool, original feeling, very grindhouse world that the characters are in. Um, one of them is Josh uh, James Bro- Josh Brolin's uh, daughter, Eden Brolin. She's one of the mm-hmm. prosecutors. She's really good in it. it. It's just clever and fun. And and there's another twist to come. Like that's what's cool about it. Uh, even though she's doing that, there's one more like surprise uh, coming in the movie. So it, it just was a cool surprise for those who haven't seen it. It's uh, streaming and it just felt a little bit racier than most movies in this uh, subgenre. And that to me is always a sweet relief given how everything looks the same sometimes. So that is Candyland. Love it. That's a really good addition because that is one that I don't think a lot of people have seen this yet. Yeah. And it's okay. Drifting into my number nine spot. This is one. So I'll also refine our rules here. Festivals make it difficult to tell what comes out specific years. So sometimes we'll go by festivals if we happen to see it there. But then sometimes we'll go by the date that it does its more widespread release. So this one played festivals in 2022, but it did not come out until it released on Peacock in top of 2023. And that is sick. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. Yeah, sick directed by John Himes. This did not come out until January, 2023. And this was one of my first watches of the year. I memory serves. I watched this during the holiday break last year and absolutely loved it. It is. um, If somebody had told me it's a pandemic slasher, I would have been like, Oh my God, I don't want to watch any more pandemic movies. That's like the last thing anybody wants to watch at this point. We don't want to relive this. That was really good. It is about a group of people. Um, It actually opens with a really cool cold open with a guy at um, college who is killed. And it's like a really tight cold open. But then we go to these two best friends um, who have decided to go to one of their secluded lake houses and quarantine together. And they get there and they start getting these really weird messages from an unknown number. And later visitors start arriving and they realize that it's friends that they didn't know were coming, that one of them invited. And it becomes this whole question of, oh my God, you could contaminate us. And then other things start happening and they realize that someone else is in the house with them. This was just, it was a pandemic film, but it was a good slasher. And that's what I really liked about it. It functioned very much as a slasher on its own accord. It could have just been two friends staying at a guest house and one of their boyfriends shows up and they realize somebody else is in the house. You wouldn't have had to have masks in the quarantine backdrop. So it wasn't reliant on the pandemic, but it was just a good slasher in itself. And this is still available on Peacock. Yeah, this is particularly notable for its direction. Like, mm-hmm. Himes directs the shit out of it. It is so, yeah. you know, give him a screen movie because he can make things move you know uh, oh yeah very very well and directed. this very tiny cast for the most of it for the most of it it's just three people yeah. and a maybe killer um because you don't really know where they are or who they are for the first part of the movie and it is just compelling even with three people and a very humorous uh kind of cameo role from jane adams from happiness uh, yes she had some funny lines that i was not expecting her to be that funny in the slasher movie suddenly uh mm-hmm. very amusing but uh, just that one I only just missed off too. It was kind of close to the list for me. Uh, number nine is the one you were just alluding to having just watched. Uh, 
Uh, so we'll both talk about this. This is a film called Venus, uh, directed yep. by Juan Balaguerro, who is one of the directors of Wreck from Spain, from Madrid. I'll give the quick rundown of the story, and then we'll both talk about what we thought. Um, it opens with a go-go dancer who is uh, rocking and rolling at a nightclub. Uh, she leaves. She clearly has some sort of uh, plan in place to rip off a duffel bag full of, you know, what we assume is drugs or money, whatever it's going to be in that moment. They're blue pills. Yeah, blue pills. And she has to get out of there and a security guard kind of gets in her way. She gets injured. It's all, it's all pretty intense, really beautifully shot. Uh, and she goes to this apartment complex, kind of uh, it's similar to another apartment complex in, in, in movies that we'll be talking about, I suspect, on this list. Uh, and her sister, who also uh, has uh, a kid, she's and they're very strange. She's going to kind of hole up there. So half of this is a crime film. It, initially, you are just in a crime genre film, kind of in a From Dust Till Dawn type twisteroo, switcheroo, oh, as we like. I did just read Blue pills are usually fentanyl oh okay so yeah so wait so what is the plus of fentanyl i understand when fentanyl is on things and cut with it people od so what is why would somebody want fentanyl what is the i wonder what i think in proper dosages it's probably like you know like a really good opiate but it's easy to od we need an expert i don't you're asking you're asking me that's a good drug expert uh (laughs) she goes to this building and when this movie to me just gets so interesting is when it basically becomes the best version of well outside of spider's labyrinth it should be the third argento witch trilogy because once you get in there somewhere between that and um salem's what's the rob zombie uh lords Lords of salem Salem has a lot of similarities to that with these older elderly women in this house and there's just like one sequence in particular where it goes full fucking all the way to the cosmic lovecraft uh argento mixture and it's like to me that was like one of the highlights of the year horror wise was just that sequence a lot of this movie isn't horror a lot of it is a crime film uh and kind of girl on the run but when it switches i really thought this was cool but i am curious to hear what you thought because i thought you'd love this one i did like this one a lot it didn't make my top 10 list because the majority of it was a crime drama and then it turned into a ghost story for a stretch like there was a solid hour of it being a ghost story and then the last 30 minutes i fucking loved because the last 30 minutes were a pure lovecraftian mixed with the best argento film never made and um the whole servant stuff versus the the mystery like it was just fascinating because it also had this hellraiser feel to it totally i was thinking Um, that at one point like oh this i'd be curious to see what he like if hellraiser could divorce itself from the american and british or and and say hey let's just make hellraiser stories in other countries yeah this would be a great hellraiser story this would totally it felt like one of the hellraiser comics where they are completely divorced from hellraiser from pinhead um and they're just kind of you know it's hellraiser taking place in various places that's what this feels feels like is like if somebody had opened a box in a random apartment building in madrid and you know it kind of explodes slowly throughout the movie as the girl is trying to hide from these criminals who are hunting her down for literally having a duffel bag full of what we now know is fentanyl And she's uh, great in it too. Yeah. Esther Exposito. I didn't really, wasn't really aware of it. It's one of those like star making kind of, whoa, who is this person? This is yeah. a fun this is role. Yeah. The same guy who directed Wreck. Yeah. Right? One of the Wreck directors. Yeah. yeah. He, he's directed yeah. most of the better ones since, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I know there's a couple guys, but, and we talked about one of the other ones who did like Sister Death and stuff. Um, yeah. But this is still what criminally I... underwatched. Like, Under not many seen, people are talking yeah. about it yet. And what I did love about this is how clever the plot was where it's not just a crime heist. It's a crime heist while this 
thing is also happening. And this thing is happening in the background of this crime heist throughout most of the movie until the last half an hour. And then they collide. Yeah. It was very cleverly orchestrated. Yeah, a really cool film if someone's looking for something surprising. And and I will say a theme of, I don't know if it's just the year or my list, is a lot of genre mashing up happening this year Mm -hmm. like just tons uh maybe it's a sign that people don't want to just try to approach the genre head on with just one thing at the moment because there's so many of these will have those kind of surprises okay taking us to my number eight i just watched this week and i didn't talk about it up top because i knew it was going to be on my list and that is last voyage of the demeter oh you know i was so i i actually regret because this got slammed by a lot of people you know it did but i I wish this was could be my number 10. I wanted can because it is like right around that. It is a very surprisingly really well made piece of film. Right? Uh, no, it is. I... And the monster stuff's great from start to it's end. So the monster good. stuff, yeah. So legit, I had read all these negative reviews yeah. on it. And a lot of times if I read a lot of negative reviews, I'll just be like, eh, yeah, I'll see it when yeah. it's free. I'll see it when it comes to Amazon Prime. I'll still see it eventually because I'm going to watch everything. I'm just not going to pay $7.99 to rent it right away. And so I hadn't watched this right when it released. And then after I started thinking about it, and thinking, I was like, I really want to watch it for this. So I decided to watch it two nights ago. Was fucking captivating. I knew when I saw this on theater. How much I loved this. I knew when I was watching in the theater. I was sitting there going, "Oh, Becca would have loved this because the monster is one of the best monsters I've seen, and like best versions of Nosferatu I've seen ever. Because it's creepy, grotesque, nothing human, nothing likable, just this Mm -hmm. thing coming for you. I think people were critical, and there was moments when I was watching where some of just the story and some of the character stuff was like, meh. Not great always, but the filmmaking was always great, in my opinion. Yeah. And it was it was so well done, which, you know, that boat was a set and yeah. how they used it and how they made it feel real. And it was just, I, lo- I thought it was so well done. I get a lot of people might not like this because it is also a period piece. It is 1890-something. Um, when was Dracula's original novel? 1897 or mm-hmm. something like that. And this is literally a chapter of Dracula's novel, which just says that, you know, there was a boat that was transporting this, you know, casket and everybody on the boat died and the captain's log details like everybody getting sick and people going crazy and something feeding on them. And so taking that chapter and then turning it into this is the voyage of taking Dracula from his homeland and bringing him to London. And the characters figuring out what's going on along the way. I just thought this was amazing. Like, you know, they're out at open ocean and nothing can leave the boat. It's just them there and they can't figure out where he's hiding. And even when, you know, they've destroyed his coffin, they still can't figure out where he's hiding and where he's hiding during the daytime. And they're already sick and their food. That's the very first thing. He destroys all of the animals on board because they take animals with them so that they can, you know, eat the chickens along the way and stuff like that. And the very first couple of nights on the voyage, he drains all the animals. And so then they have no food. And just seeing the desperation of the voyage combined with something that is feeding on them. This is great. It's so well shot. Um, So, yeah, this is Andre Overall. um, Overdahl, I'm saying the name wrong. But, yeah, I was surprised about this. Do not listen to uh, any of the reviews. This was, if you're, you know, 
can, if you can get around the period thing, this was great. Yeah, I mean, he directed Autopsy of Jane Doe, which is still one of the great movies of the last, like, you know, decade horror-wise. And yep. I, I just think he's, I think it's so well-directed. And uh, it is interesting. I think time will be on that one side because I think a lot of the maybe initial reactions will, it'll be more like a Dracula that you go back to and uh, mm-hmm. dig. I'm kind of most bummed, though, because it, if it didn't do well, because at the very end, without giving it away, there is a possibility of what would have been a sequel that I would have very yep. much liked to have watched. Um, and and as the story would have continued, and I'm like, if it if it didn't make money, I guess we'll never see it. Um, but maybe we'll see. Um, okay, my number one, uh, number eight. I was going to jump to number one. I was going to say, where are you going? My number King? one, uh, number eight uh, was a movie that uh, at times I was mixed on, but like, there's so much I like about it. Uh, that I had to put it in and that's number eight cobweb uh, by Sam Bowden who made Marianne and it's I get some of the criticism especially of the end and this, again we're talking about genre mashups this this hits many different genres but I think in the long run this is going to be a bit of a Halloween classic that people will dust off every Halloween because it's set of Halloween and it has so many great sequences and really creepy setup a uh, young boy uh, and you basically are his parents played by Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr you're basically assuming they're like child abductors and they're really fucked up and hiding secrets you can't you're trying to work it out as you're watching it but they are don't seem good you know that they've yeah. got something in the basement yes. and that they don't want him to leave the house it feels very um oh gosh people under the stairs yeah mixed with a little bit yeah. of the one from last year black phone kind of thing and mm-hmm. and then he starts talking to like almost an imaginary friend somebody in a wall which you just assume is a ghost and so so you think you're watching a ghost film that's also with like stepfather type vibes of the parents and then it takes such a crazy turn and i'm not gonna even ruin it because there's just no point for anyone who hasn't seen it um and so where you go with that turn will depend on where you fall in this film uh has cleopatra coleman also playing his teacher and the teacher is the one person who's kind of worried about him and he's always drawing things and there's pumpkin patches in the yard and there's just so much iconography that to me makes this and and it really does feel like an attempt which is hard to do. And I think it's one of the best examples of a modern day grim fairy tale, but set in our world. Like, oh, yeah. like a, it really feels gr- like a grim story. And it's because it's very dark um, from start to end. I, I really liked it. There's there's things along the way, like even while I was watching, because I watched with other people where I'd be like, wait, what about, you know, p- trying to pick holes? But then I'd be like, you know what? But it's I'm also enjoying it. So I don't care. Uh, written by Chris Thomas Devlin, who we uh, befriended when we were at the Seattle Make Believe. Make Believe. Yeah, Billy Ray's. Mm-hmm. And we got to meet him and be on a panel and stuff. And um, I, when I was watching it, I don't think I knew he wrote it. So well done. Uh, I think this movie will have kind of like a nice arc to it i think this will become something that people watch quite often every halloween a lot of people that really loved this i was one of those who was kind of hung up on some of the inconsistencies but that said the whole monster and mythos behind it were really fun and really the good thing about the holes that people like if we do often when you come back a couple years later and watch a movie you're not no longer thinking that way because you've Mm -hmm. already done it so you can sometimes just enjoy it for being a crazy wild film you know and i like that about movies that they don't always just stay put you know um but anyway number eight was cobweb going to mine number seven which i have an inkling is higher on your list talk to me higher figured um so so far that's our first that's first our first common. i'm making a note first in common will be discussed soon okay what's your seven uh, oh that's right yeah we just keep going uh 70 for me um it was floating between seven and ten but i just love this filmmaker so much uh that's infinity pool it's you know it's it's nowhere near to me as good as possessor possessor was my number one movie that year one of my favorite of the decade so far to be honest um but it was completely original i've never seen a movie quite like it everyone's good in it it looks great it's so weird i mean it's it's set on a 
uh, Tropical Island, uh, Alexander Sarsgaard, and Cleopatra Coleman, who was just in the last movie, so two in a row. I think she's the only person on two films on my list. Um, are she's very rich. He, he's a struggling kind of, I'd say, actually failed writer, not even failing. Um, and they're on this perfect beach, and then they meet Mia Goth, which obviously is always a bad thing uh, in movies. Uh, her and her boyfriend, and they go into this kind of he go he goes into this kind of world of hedonism, and then it gets so bonkers, like it really goes into like a it's probably closer to a science fiction but with a lot of depravity so that's what kind of makes mm-hmm. it horror but it's probably a bit more sci-fi in its concept which is and i'm you know it's been out long enough to say <clears throat> they do something unthinkable and terrible and they kill a local person accidentally and how are we ever going to get out of it and then they're basically told well you need to be executed in this country to appease the locals but if you have enough money they can make a double of you and kill that instead and you're free to go and so it becomes this little sci-fi twist that you can create a double and probably the funniest scene of the year in any movie, even though it's really dark, but you're actually laughing, is them watching the execution of their double and you're laughing because it's so insane. Because they're, they're cheering. It's pretty funny. It's a very fucked up movie, very sexual, but like I, I am so in for this director's just this vision that he's like, of the, and this one was actually meant to be made before Possessor, so it was actually something he had to kind of come back to to get made because he couldn't get it made, um, yeah. which makes sense because it is a little harder to sell i think um as a concept compared but what's really memorable is just mia goth in this movie saying the name james and following him around <laughs> and taunting him. it's quite i can hear it in the recesses of my brain and well it sounds yeah. like a british ghost yes. it's the only way whatever you would think of british ghost screaming would sound like it's that and it was just so amazing because it's her, her real voice of, yeah it's her yeah. real voice in this one which can be a little i uh, can throw you off a little bit but it it's a very a very interesting film and you know it could have floated anywhere in the the latter half of my list but definitely uh a director to keep watching number six for me this is another one that was kind of critically mixed but i was such a huge personal fan mm-hmm. of and that is renfield by chris mckay well in my top five so it didn't make here and only i think the only reason it's not here is because it would probably make my top five comedies of the year because it to me was such a funny comedy but what i did note yeah. when we did our five thing before my other five asterisks was nicholas cage in renfield because to mm-hmm. me i feel like people are sleeping on him giving one of the best performances of the year and one of the most fun versions of Dracula we'll ever see. I do not know what people's issues were with this movie because I, we saw the press screening of this and it was outlandishly crazy. People were just losing it. And it's the mix of comedy and Nick Cage and gore and how over the top and he beats a man to death with his own arm at one point. It's just wild. And how, like contemporary it is with the whole kind of self-care and emotional and you know empowerment thing versus Nicolas Cage as this literal vampire I thought this movie was brilliant so I had a blast with it this is the only one on my list that I have watched twice so far this year um I watched this a second time several months it was when the blu-ray released I watched it a second time and thought it was great again I let my daughter watch it with me and she thought it was hilarious so yeah, I, I wish this had performed better box office wise um, because it would have kind of made a better path for horror comedies going forward, which are yeah. always a hard sell. But yeah, I thought it was brilliant. So well done, Chris McKay. I had a blast. With it almost it. feels like they shouldn't even try for horror comedy. It, sh- it should just be it's a great comedy that happens to have horror characters. Horror elements. But it's never really trying to like scare you. It's about being 
funny and absurd and especially <laughs> the character with his like sweater you know renfield wearing a sweater and stuff like that stuff's just very funny um, it's fun yeah. it is so fun him it, decorating his apartment and putting little quotes everywhere it's just so it's fun. another i mean that's the hard thing with movies in their t- i feel bad for the directors because some movies in their moment don't do well and or even critically well but you know, five years from now, everyone is going to be looking back at Nick Cage movies. They're going to get to this and they're going to be like, how did we not see Renfield? You, ju- you can already see the list Hilarious. and because it's him just fully committed. So, yeah. and, and the best thing they did, and we talked about this, is they cut this little universal, they cut him into universal old horror movies in black the and old, white. And it was so Nosferatu cool. and then yeah. it goes into Warner Herzog. Oh, it's so it's cool amazing see, how flawless it is. That's a very clever idea. And we had him on the show, but it, it really mm-hmm. is fun. Um, my number six is very controversial. This is one that wasn't on my list till yesterday. And, and I realized, oh, I'd be lying if I didn't say it wasn't one of the most interesting things. But for a lot of people, this will be one of those ones they might get upset about. Uh, that is Bo is Not Afraid uh, by Ari Aster. <laughs> this is a three-hour movie. Nope, didn't see it. Here's the thing. Uh, well, number one, you'll understand when I, I I've told I think when I mentioned to you what it is, what it feels like. It feels like a living embodiment of a Dan Klaus graphic novel, and you know how I feel about those. They were like my yes. favorite graphic novel uh, maker uh, artist. He did Ghost World, but that's a much more realistic thing. This feels like they captured, and I'm sure Esther's a fan. You can just feel it in everything. The thing about this movie is, I almost want to break it into pieces to place it. Like I'm not kidding. If I was just the first hour. I think it would be number one on my list. The first hour is so great. So it's like a massive panic attack, anxiety attack. As you meet this Joaquin Phoenix character who is a total mama's boy, totally living in a shell, is scared of the outside world, doesn't even want to cross the street to get medication, doesn't want to go outside his door, but he has to. And it's like the apocalypse is happening around him. But that's how it feels. They they basically create how he feels. It's probably not how the world is, but it's how he feels. And it's really terrifying and intense and it's just so well done like it's non-stop i would i would definitely think if you just turn on one night just saying to yourself i'm gonna only watch the first 45 minutes to see how i feel you should do that because i think you're gonna love that part the second in the middle of this movie it becomes this there's more of this folktale and just very very big swing filmmaking but i found myself much less just interested in a lot of that part and then at the end they bring parker posey in and suddenly it becomes fucking great again uh for for like a good 40 minutes so when you're dealing with three-hour movies it's hard to talk about but i think it is a nightmare movie and i think it's a kafka movie like one of the most pure like kafka type movies um and i want people to check it out if they didn't because i think it's more interesting than midsummer i'm not saying it's a better movie midsummer is obviously a huge cult hit uh but this is more interesting because this is like this is not this is going to be his weird. This will be his Southland tales. This will be his mm-hmm. the thing that takes a while for people to click on. Joaquin's great in it. Nathan Lane's good. Patty Lapone's really good. And then Parker. I Patrick, love yeah. Patty Lapone. He plays the mom. Um, it's it's but it's so weird. Like there is something I'm not even talking about. Something to do with his testicles. Something to do with a, a, a thing where he can't have sex because he's worried he'll die because that's how he was told his father died. So he's living in this like mental. It's it it feels like there's some weird stuff that Aster was going you know has gone through in his life that he had to put into this movie and it feels like a lot of that is coming out um very strange movie but like i said that first hour is just so well made and exciting filmmaking so whatever aster does it's going to be interesting whether it connects or not but i'm not sure it needs to be that long like i'm again this is one where i'm not you know maybe if it was 220 it would have done so much better you know versus three Mm -hmm. hours um but it i i think it was worth bringing up on a list like this so people are reminded that it does hit some horror stuff okay 
Coming into the top five now oh, at right. number five for me, the boogeyman. Is literally like now it was my 11. It was my 10 until I put on. Um, You're making me lose our bet. I am making yeah. you lose our bet, but I'm with you. I still think the boogeyman's one of the best directed movies of the year. Um, I thought this was so tight. I, Rob Savage just knocked this out of the park. I loved the direction. I loved how the scare sequences were orchestrated. I love the mythos. Like the boogeyman is such just a generic film concept. And even when you reread the Stephen King short story, it's very much vague. It doesn't really say anything about what's happening. And so building an entire feature film out of the boogeyman, like there's not a lot there. And so I found the script in itself to be incredibly clever. I found the mythos that it builds around what the boogeyman is, how it functions, how it spreads from person to person, how it selects new victims, how it travels, you know, from closets. Like there's a lot of kind of rulemaking and biology that has to be involved in it that really fucking worked. And the creature at the end was just fucking awesome. So yeah, I loved this film, thought that it had some really great scare sequences in it. Yeah, I I wonder if some of the people didn't like this because I was surprised. It was one of those movies where you saw negative reviews. You're like, huh. I wonder if there were people watching it at home, not in the theater, because in the theater it played so well. Yeah, we saw this. I think opening. Yeah, night. people were cheering and, and standing yeah, up, and it there just was cheer. Somebody was like, uh, I remember there was a couple that was like screaming at the the uh, like, yeah. don't do oh, that. Yeah. Like no. it was. And there was guys like at one point when somebody gets punched that were there was like a group of guys in front of us that stood up and was like, fuck, yeah, it was like it was the best screening experience that I think we've had this year. It was was a packed crowd at the AMC 16 Burbank and everybody was really engaged. Yeah, no, really good. Um, My number five is not one that will probably be on a lot of people lists, And if it was, it might be in the 10. So me putting it five is really this is very much about a this surprised me i really liked it and i had fun versus like it's some big movie um but i really want people to see this and that is that movie i've talked about a bit called all eyes directed by the greenlee brothers uh oh yeah and i started on tubi and it's just this you know and i don't want to overhype it because then then it under does what was nice to discover about it which is it's a small movie but with a lot of heart and it's a a podcaster does true crime podcast is gets kind of disgraced because one of the interview subjects turns you know turns out to be a fraud kind of story and he kind of gives up on uh, his podcasting until he gets a letter from uh this farmer who says you know my wife loved your show I have a monster in the uh, adjacent field from my house. It's this is a true story, and I will give you twenty grand if you come talk to me and maybe do a podcast on this. Whatever the setup is, and he goes out to the middle of nowhere because he's got nothing to lose, and uh, he basically meets this farmer guy, and they sit around bonding outside fields, drinking beers, waiting for something to happen. And, and a lot of it is about their relationship, but it does deliver. It, it's going to go there. But what's surprising in the middle of this film, and I don't like to go too into it because it's the part that really surprised me and I really loved, is the guy has completely wired with booby traps his entire house and everywhere around his house because he thinks monster's going to come. Unfortunately, at some point, our main character kind of gets stuck. And that part of the movie is so fucking fun and funny and like a Evil dead vibe. Uh, it, the closest approximate movie right now because the setup is Deadstream, right? Like those two really could pair very nicely. They're very different like types of movies, but they have a similar kind of character at their core and are both smaller films that are both really fun. Um, and I just, you know, I just really dig it. I think it's a really cool little movie and makes me excited that people like that are, you know, voices on the, on the rise. So I'm giving it a nice high placement um, at number five. On to okay. 
Heading into my number four. Wow. So we still um, only have one in common. Okay. Only one in common. I am Insane. so losing Insane. this this year. Yeah. I tried. I tried. But that's okay. Because if I lose, it means that we're giving more films exposure, which is what yeah. we ultimately yeah. want to do. Like, we don't want to make a list of 10. We want to make a list of a bunch of yeah. films. And my number four is definitely one of the deeper cuts of this year, but one that I just really enjoyed and that I want to give some exposure to. And that is swallowed by uh, one of our friends, prior guest, Carter Smith. I really dug this one too. This wasn't in the, yeah. like in my brain, the because he actually made two films this year. And I really liked the other one. I'm uh, the other passenger is passenger great was as super well. well made and like yeah. really good Kyle uh, Golner performance. Uh, he's making films that aren't quite in the mainstream though. And I can see why yeah. maybe because of that, like less people are seeing or talking about them, but yeah, you're right. This one was like very, un- you know, different. It just felt different. Yeah. So this is swallowed. Um, this one actually played festivals in 2022 because it played some of the same festivals as glorious and I didn't get to see it. And then it released, um, top of 2023. And I just found this film to be absolutely amazing. It is two best friends. One of them is leaving for Los Angeles with the intention of becoming a gay porn star. And so it is their last night. They decide to drive across, uh, to Canada And they're going to go drinking and they're like, you know what? One last night, I'm going to get some money so that I can, you know, fund my trip to LA. I'm going to do a drug run. And so they drive into Canada and they decide to be drug mules so that they can do this one last thing and get some money before he goes off to LA to do gay porn. And they swallow their, their job is to swallow these little like balloonies and then drive back across the border and then they recover them when they go to the bathroom on the other side. And there's all of these different kind of gangsters and underground people involved that it's real shady what they're doing and they don't ask questions about what's in the baggie. And they drive back across and things start happening and they realize they they get into some trouble, they encounter some red Nicky type characters. One um, realizes that the baggie has likely burst inside of him and they realize that what they are carrying is not drugs. It is some type of very special, very rare, very disturbing looking insects, which are now inside of him. It gets 10 times worse from there. This movie gets absolutely brutal. It's tiny. I don't think that the cast is probably more than 10 people total, but it feels it's it's very much like a drug crime movie, but with this um, very Cronenberg yeah, body horror, for sure, yeah. bug body horror bend to it. So Swallowed, this movie is one that I have not stopped thinking about this year, that just the acting in it's really good and how much it's stuck with me is amazing and i love and it goes way bonkers at the end and i absolutely love where it goes at the end yeah it's it's a really uh interesting movie i was really in on that movie when we watched it for that episode he's 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 on a roll of making interesting work mm-hmm. i hope he can get back to like getting a budget that allows him like to go for some a big swing because it's got to be like tough. a ruins yeah, yeah because he's obviously started there but like he, the films he's been making since have all been interesting so yeah um okay so, so my number four could also be as high as one it's that good it's a movie that I only would have been talking about at the top of the episode had it because I saw it this week. It's a movie that's going to be at the top of a lot of people's list and it'll be at the top of your list when you see it. And that is Godzilla minus one. This movie, <laughs> uh, you haven't had time. And so that's the only reason. I haven't. I haven't. I, I ended up with the, the ear thing yeah. I was talking about at the top of the show. And we had planned to go see it um, the Sunday back, that yeah. it opened. 
and I didn't get to go because I couldn't hear and I was in a lot of so pain. I won't to say too much. I'll say like the closest I could approximate. I feel like it has it has the similar kind of structure to why Tales from Basan is so good. So in the same way, if you tell me I love Godzilla, but I also don't have never watched not a single Godzilla movie as a real movie to me. They are fun. And I enjoy watching Godzilla be either cheap and crappy in a suit or big and stupid. But I've never once watched it from start to end as a movie where I'm going to be moved. It feels mm-hmm. historic. I, I kept saying afterwards, like, put this with Oppenheimer. While As soon as Oppenheimer ends, you should be watching this movie because it's set in the same fucking time period. It's like uh, the last day of the war in Japan. Your main character is a kamikaze pilot who is too scared to be a, to do it. Like basically, they're all told to just die, like go crash into something. And he lands his plane, pretending there's something wrong with it because he's he doesn't want to die. And the guy, when people realize that he's been faking it, he's kind of being embarrassed. And then suddenly, Godzilla attacks this little island. This is the opening scene, and they have never seen Godzilla before. They're all like shocked. Um, and he's the only only him and one other person survive. And he's kind of embarrassed and. Then the war's over, but half of Japan's obviously ruined. So it's set in this, and he basically uh, starts to look after this little girl, a uh, little baby uh, that has been left in his care. And so it's a lot of this movie is about learning, like very quick. They do such a smart job of getting this idea that a that Japanese society was like, you aren't important as a person. You are just part of a cog and now go kill yourself for the greater cause to know individuals matter and individuals can come together for a greater good. A massive shift in the the entire concept of what Japan has been, what modern day Japan is. And so they do that in the course of like a two hour movie, like the entire shift of that philosophy through these characters. And then the cool thing about this movie, no spoilers, is that, at no point is Godzilla empathetic. At no point are you cheering for Godzilla. At no point do you think he's the cool thing. It is from start to end, Godzilla is the bad thing, and we must work together to try to end it. And that is so refreshing to me because I haven't felt that way in my entire life watching Godzilla in a movie. I always am cheering for Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in- that's how you do it. No, this like is so Godzilla. cool. It's so cool to watch him. And that's why I said it might be less for your kids because it's more like a history movie mixed with these scenes. But like I'm watching this movie, it's like halfway through, and I'm like, this is really good. Like I'm kind of surprised. And there's a city sequence, like it's all set on islands mostly. And suddenly Godzilla rolls into the city in modern, in like 1940s uh, Japan. And the music from the old Godzilla's drops. The needle drop is one of the, yeah. is the best moment of the year. Like the single best moment I felt like where you could feel the hair on your arm stand up because it was so exciting. It was just like, Oh shit. Like I'm in a Godzilla movie and, and the stakes are like the original. It feels more like the original Jurassic Park did where dinosaurs were actually scary for a second or intense or whatever. Uh, this movie just rules. I'm not going to say anything more else about the story. Um, I've met very few people who aren't finding this to be one of the most you know, rewarding and just because it's very emotional and just a really great Godzilla movie. So less horror, obviously, because it's a monster movie, but it's not necessarily about being scary. Um, surprisingly feel good. Uh- <laughs> I heard that as well, that it did have this yeah. train to Basan yeah. kind of uplifting quality to it. It is terrific. Yeah. And you will definitely dig it. Not necessarily the kid Godzilla movie for yet. Like, but, you know, you know. I was going to, uh, once I started feeling better, I was going to take Strummer to go see it because he loves Godzilla so much. And I was worried because I'd heard that it was a dialogue heavy A lot of movie. subtitles. Yeah, a lot of subtitles. And he he's seven. He yeah. can read, not fast. Yeah. Um, So I was like, okay, that might they not might be. Do, I mean, there might be a dubbed version out there. I mean, I, I, I'm i sure when it comes to, uh, you know, it comes to streaming, I'm sure somebody would make a dubbed version because, you know, it's, why not? I don't think it would, you'd lose too much for a younger viewer. Yeah, because um, I, I got like the Miyazaki ones when they're dubbed for kids. They're fine, you know, 
because they do a yeah. good job. I think that's the thing. If you do, do, a do, a good job, they do a good job, you cast real stars and you make a good movie, you know. I gotta say, a couple of people who I won't name names um, that are directors that we know work also directing dubs mm. for Netflix. So a lot of times, if a movie is coming in dubbed, it's been directed by like a real director who is really trying to make it good on this Netflix one. Sometimes, and there are yeah. definitely some of them are great. Like some, the conference was one where I didn't even notice it. There's so, one where I had to yeah. stop. I think I'd watched the first one dubbed, not knowing it was in German, which was that show Marianne. And then when mm-hmm. I switched to the German, it worked so much better for me. I don't know why. It's just creepier or something. I don't know. The wreck American dub is the most painful mm-hmm. thing I have ever. It's just, it's awful. Yeah. I have, I show wreck in my class and I had to fight to find the That's original. That's right. No, version. I remember watching a bit of it. And it's it racist. Yeah, it like matter. it's, it's just, it's, it's bad. So um, anyways, it's beside the point. Let's move on to number three. And number three, much like wreck is set in a high rise apartment building. And that is my number three, Evil Dead Rise. Uh-oh, I'm going to have to not pull the Bromley move because my number three is Evil Dead Rise. What? Okay. <laughs> Finally, so we landed two. somewhere. Two. A totally, okay. totally rad movie that I rewatched last. It's the only one I rewatched. And I did it last night because I was like, you know what? How is this going to be? I didn't know if it'd be three or two. or So I knew it was going to be around here. And it's still so, it's just so much fun. It's so good. This movie just slaps yeah. from the moment it starts going. And that is my favorite part is it is unrelenting. There is just, it is just brutal the entire way through. And it is an absolute blast. And it knows what it's doing. Yeah. It knows that it's an evil dead, that it should be fun, that it should be jaw dropping. And the fact that you can pick up evil dead and smack it down in the middle of a beautiful high rise, it just works And that so it's so well dark. Here. I mean, it's real dark mm-hmm. with the family stuff because the mother, you know, it, it goes so dark with some of the things she says. It, it, what I love about it, I just, and I, I wrote this down last night, I was like, oh, it's Demons 1, but set in Demons 2. <laughs> it's the yes. tone of Demons 1. But it's in the setting of Demons 2, which is like about as good as you could hope for uh, for a movie. And and it also reminded mm-hmm. me there has, I mean, think about this. It's the only franchise there isn't a bad movie. There is not a bad yeah. Evil Dead movie or even the show. There has not been a bad Evil Dead thing, which is unreal nope. given the tonal shifts from Army of Darkness and this have nothing in common at all totally and yet they're all good they're all somehow it works yeah. somehow it can exist as this over the top very character led comedy to this yeah. like it's very much they're two different franchises in the capacity but both of them work so well and i think that's a testament to when you have the same creators at least involved like robert tappert has mm-hmm. produced all of them it means that somebody is watching the the, the material even if they're not mm-hmm. it's not all Raimi, but it's all been watch I, I i can't wait for whatever the next one if it's in this world um yeah. if lee cronin's coming back for another one he does a great job directing this film uh very oh, yeah. very good film so okay number two for me no one will save you by brian duffield oh of course yeah and no, i didn't didn't end up making mine i guess in my brain it's more more sci-fi but i love the way it's made so oh. I'll let you, i know you love this oh one. my gosh right. I did. This is my number two film of the year. This is one of my ultimate favorite watches. I love Brian Duffield just because I feel like he marries horror and comedy so well without making it over the top. There's another horror comedy that almost made my list, but it was so over the top. I found it off-putting almost at times. Um, And I mean, there are horror comedies that I love being over the top like Renfield, but this one, it's got a subtlety to it that I just found brilliant. And it's a lot of it's in the shooting, like how he is framing the aliens or her discovering the aliens like there is a comedicness in his framing that i find absolutely brilliant and then he's also using that same really skilled eye to make it absolutely terrifying 
girl has been completely ostracized by her town doesn't talk to anybody and that is kind of the biggest thing to know about the movie is it does she does not speak throughout the whole movie because she can't nobody wants to talk to her and so she lives in this house on the edge of town and she realizes early that like there's weird things happening there's things being left in people's yards and one night she basically wakes up and there has been an alien invasion and then the next hour or so um becomes her trying to tell the rest of the town about the aliens and save herself but no one will talk to her because of this thing that happened that ostracized her from the entire town so she's all by herself in this house trying to figure out how to fight off the aliens that she knows are coming for her it's great i had a blast with this movie and the aliens look really good that's become my biggest hang up with aliens i've discovered is they're gonna be digital no matter how you slice it you're gonna have to digitize them to a degree and the aliens look really good in this to the point that it didn't pull me out yeah it's a little bit more in the science world and i think science did a really good job mm-hmm. uh yeah this is of all the movies this year this is the one i think would have benefited most not not saying it could have even been made but being on a screen because it's very cinematic he's made a very and i wish like I, I think I'm going to love watching it again. And I think I'll mm-hmm. probably watch this movie more than some of the movies on my top 10. You know what I mean? Uh, ten, I tend to be going for the kind of movies often that I would want to ma- make. You know, you end up p- picking movies like that. Um, but it is it is terrific and super. His voice is super interesting. You know, yeah. always can't wait to see what he does next. OK, I'll be curious. We're in the last two. Uh, I'm curious if my number two will be your number one. I would be bummed if this one isn't on your list. But let's find out. My number two is the most disturbing movie of the year higher okay i will name it but i'm pretty sure we're in the same place when (laughs) evil lurks higher okay good oh well when you're higher than two you're in a good place uh directed (laughs) by damien ringa okay so we will hold on when evil lurks and we will go well we can talk about it now number one number one so my number one film of the year is when evil lurks um by damien rugna um argentinian filmmaker previously known for terrifier which we're sorry terrify not terrifier i'd say he might be the realest (sighs) one going because me and you can't really i mean i can't be scared that much but this t- movie fucked this me did, up terrified it and his short film on satanic hispanics this year fucked me up so so i'm like wait a minute this guy's on this guy's rolling this movie i was howling and i saw this movie in the worst possible setting where i was sitting in the middle of my bed in like bright bedroom light watching it on a laptop yeah. Um, because they, whatever the screening link we had been given for this, I couldn't get it. A lot of times I'll like airplay it over to my television, but it has some type of block on it. So I couldn't do that. So I'm watching it on my tiny ass laptop in the middle of my bed. And it, I was howling through this whole thing, just shocked because it is just going it is like an evil dead level of like escalating violence where you don't realize how it's going to go and it just keeps going and keeps going and oh my god where it ends is just it it went to places i couldn't even imagine and real tone tonal mastery like this person's making a very bleak tonal movie and yet you're still enjoying watching it because it's surprising you at times and you know, so if, I, if, I, if I say goat scene or if I say dog scene or I say kid scene, I'm not even telling you what those are. Those are three of the most fucking crazy sequences of this year. Oh, my God. Uh, in terms of violence and tone, you know. Oh, it's so violent. But yeah, like I, I had such um, a powerful time watching yeah. it. I'm hesitant to call it a good time just because of what it is. But at the same time, 
I look back and I mean, there was an enjoyment in it. It's like a cathartic enjoyment that I went through it. And I was like, well, fuck, I've never seen anything like that before. The setup is that these, um, this is in Argentina and not the countryside, but definitely a more rural area where everybody's kind of spread out. They, uh, two guys are going through, uh, one of the more rural areas one day and they find this dead priest and they realize that he was headed to, he was traveling through town and he was headed to this one house in specific and they travel to the house and they're like, look, we're sorry to tell you, we looks like you were about to get a visitor. We found him and he's dead. And we just wanted to let you know he's not coming. And the mom breaks down into tears and she's like, oh my God, I needed him here. Because my son has, what do they call it? The darkness? They yeah, have a specific like name that, yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, that my son has, and they have a specific term for it. And it basically means that he's possessed. And her son is like grotesque and tied down to a bed and like threatening things and fluids re- oozing out of every orifice. And they're like, we have to get him out of here. He is going to poison the entire town with this evil. We have to get him out of here. And so they start moving him and transporting the body and they basically just dump it and leave it somewhere. And then it does. It starts spreading everywhere. And basically it spreads like an infection where every single person who has come in contact with something that touched the body, a cloth, your hand, anybody who is in the vicinity of it becomes infected with it. So it's almost like an infection movie, but what it is spreading is I can't even call it like a possession movie. It's hell. It's like spreading. Yeah, it's so much the, darker than a possession movie. The 30 yeah. second clip scene from Event Horizon. Yeah, for a whole that movie. That <laughs> is what it spreads yeah. for a whole movie. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's the most impressive movie of the year because it's the level of world building I haven't quite seen by anyone in a in a while. Like, mm-hmm. and when I say world building, I'm like, because it's not like it's a sci-fi world, but like within minutes, they're giving you a whole new mythology. Uh, uh, people, characters who already believe stuff that they don't even take time to explain. They show you incre- incredible instruments that don't even end up being used. Like it's just got so much going in it, and yet you go on this ride, and it's so bleak. It's it's just I saw this at the Beyond Fest screening, and he was there probably the day before you watched the link. We were mm-hmm. right around the same time, and we just walked out going, "Okay, it's been a while since the movie has like taken it out of you." You know, where you walk out going, "Holy shit, this guy." is he is the guy right now like in my opinion in terms of horror director just like one of those people where it's like whatever happens because i'm not i don't want to underestimate the short on the the anthology part on satanic hispanics was also so fascinating and Mm -hmm. and interesting and it's just like so each he's it's like he's got this big world he's working towards um yeah i really love this this was a shutter film and they just nailed it and this is officially the by far the highest rated film by the two of us because it's number one on your list and number two on mine and that is very high uh that's you know not only in unison but almost lockstep right there so yeah watch it if you haven't it is uh definitely not a feel-good movie especially that goat scene no nope. it is a fucked up movie uh, oh my god which takes me to my number one which was i it was this was never in question for me it's just like it's been my number one all year uh in the same way i felt about it follows i mean it just i just had so much fun watching it and that is talk to me which was your number Seven. number seven there's something mm-hmm. about this movie that for me um and also i love films shot in australia and places like that you know um it just it delivered what i feel is like the positive of like what a next generation filmmaker 
in, in the same way that the director of Boogeyman, he's one as well, where they are bringing in a slightly different language, still cinematic, but mm-hmm. you feel the fact that these guys were YouTubers and they made clever shit and fast shit and they knew how to be smart, bringing that into mixed with the cinematic and then just kind of making something that feels just a little bit different by like even 10%, it feels fresh and new and and just fun. And I thought it was a great mixture of a um, great, emotional performance by Sophie Wilde in the lead and kind of a depressed character, very dark uh, kind of uh, inside interior mixed with a very fun, big concept of horror. And some of the scenes in this, when they touch this hand and it's just about these people uh, coming up with, they have this hand that they found and it's meant to be the hand of a mystic or whatever. And it, it, it you, they record you afterwards being possessed. You invite it into your body. You see another spirit, like all of that's clever and everything. But when you actually see the other spirit, it's actually fucking scary and when it starts to get real dark and it's about the younger brother and the things that are going to happen to him alluded to, it is like watching the darkest scene of society, which is never that dark because you're watching a goopy, silly comedy. The implication yeah. of that to a real person is so devastatingly dark that there was moments in this movie where I was like, oh, my God. And I was like scared for the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's a brilliant movie, a, a, a brilliant debut. Uh, and. Uh, whatever Danny and Michael, I know you were on a panel recently with Michael. I was, I just hung out with Danny last oh, weekend. Danny, 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 my, not Michael. Yeah. Uh, no, Danny uh, was there. Yeah. I think that one of uh, a couple of really cool things that I learned um, on the panel was that they'd been shopping this around for a really long mm-hmm. time. And that a lot of studios had, Even though they're 18 years concept. old. <laughs> I know that's the wild thing. <laughs> they look um, like kids. No, and and you know he shows up and he definitely you know they have a young energy. Like, let's just young say very young of energy. The group. Yeah. yeah, it was the rest of us were like you know horror people who have been in this you know doing this for a while and then you know yeah it was definitely a different vibe and um but he was talking about how they'd been shopping this around for a long time and a lot of the studios came in with notes to make it very vanilla that a lot of the studios liked the concept, but then they would come in with these notes to make it very much a studio ghost film and uh, that they didn't want to do that. And so just stick into their guns and saying like, we'll pass on that. And, you know, oh, we're we're not going to let you guys direct, you know, we'll take your concept. We're going to have other people rewrite it, things like that, like ready to just take it and run and go hire, you know, whoever the the hot person of the minute to rewrite it is. And seeing that, you know, they stuck to their guns and were like, no, you know what, we'll do it our own way. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out and find the money whenever we can. Um, And then listening to them talk, we were talking about IPs on the panel and listening to Danny talk about how, you know, they're scared to death of doing like a big franchise film because of you know, the, the hype behind it of the, the expectations that people go into it with, that there is always going to be, you know, somebody who's like, nah, that's not the blank. I remember that's not the one from my youth or, and um, so yeah, kind of knowing that they're ready for this next big step. And I think they've already signed on to street fighter from legendary, which I will say is an IP, but it's not one that you walk into with a this happens and this happens. Because no one's happens. nailed the movie like, versions. Yeah. None of the film I, versions were like. I uh, loved. Wait, was that Mortal? No, I liked Mortal, yeah, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat's more I, fun. I suddenly had to remember the song. Mortal Kombat. Yeah, no, Street Fighter was the Van Damme one. It's very strange. The kind yeah, of, and so it doesn't yeah. kind of have that established like this is what this movie needs to be going into it. But yeah, them kind of realizing that there's there's expectations behind a lot of things 
things. But that said, um, you know, I think Danny mentioned on the panel that, you know, they're still pushing original ideas around. And the sequel to this has already been Mm -hmm. greenlit from A24. So, and again, A24 is such a great home for movies like this when they are outside, but it's not, you know, it follows is still my favorite of these kind of movies, but, but this one is in that uh, context. And and it's one I actually am very excited. I almost rewatched it Mm -hmm. last night and I'm kind of looking forward to just revisiting it because it's just smart and fun. And Miranda Otto as the mom's great. Uh, And I love that you can have something that dark, but also be fun. It's, it's a hard thing to articulate sometimes without it being a comedy, but fun is a, is the roller coaster fun. And they totally got that. So my number one is talk to me. Uh, that is a hell of a list. Let's recap our list. And then if you had any that just narrowly missed, we could, yep, cause there's a couple, a couple. Uh, you've already mentioned a couple of mine. So let's go. You do from 10 to uh, number 10 suitable flesh. Nine was sick. Eight last voyage of the Demeter. Seven was talk to me. Six was Renfield. Five was the boogeyman. Four was swallowed. Three evil dead rise Two no one will save you. And number one, when evil lurks, so I believe that makes three. We three only three exactly right okay uh You're right Candyland at 10 uh venus at nine a cobweb at eight infinity pool at seven Bo is afraid at six all eyes at five godzilla minus one at four evil dead rise at three you, you would have had evil uh, godzilla would be on yours i'm pretty sure um I'm sure. evil Dead rise at three when evil lurks at two and then talk to me at number one uh great list i think we also got some a couple smaller ones in there that i think will be nice for people to discover mm-hmm. so that's i feel good about these lists um what did you feel badly did you feel bad about leaving anything off i mine was probably last voyage of demeter uh that i felt bad about but um, totally killer. That was the uh-huh. one that I said was kind of a more over the top yeah. comedy horror. It's less horror. Definitely than a comedy. comedy that happens to be about slashers. Yeah. About slashers. But that said, I still really enjoyed it and had a really good time with it. It just barely missed my list. Um, also El Conde is another one where uh-huh. I'll say you it's more it. comedy. It's more dark, darkly comedic satire than it is horror um this one's on netflix and i know i think i mentioned it on our show in october but it's definitely more comedic satire than horror the horror is just kind of infused there but i still really i walked away really impressed with how well done the movie was and what a good satire it was um a couple others i can throw out uh five nights at freddy's had an Mm -hmm. absolute blast with i wanted to include it just for my kids same with megan my kids, yeah, Ma- I mean, Megan's an omission, I think, on both of us. I think I might have thought maybe it was going to be higher on yours. It is a very fun movie and a very well-made yeah. movie. It, maybe it's a little less of a me movie. That's why it's not on my 10. If it was on what are the best films of the year, objective, yes, it would be in the top 10. And I want to cheer the director on because that's the guy who did Housebound. So, like, yes. I just want yeah, Kiwi, to, yeah. you know, um, you know, keep cheering them on and whatever they do Andrew next. Johnson. But that's that. My daughter, uh, yeah, Jared Johnson, Jared, yeah, I believe. Yeah. Johnson. My daughter has probably watched Megan 10 times this year. Like, that is by far her. It's gateway horror. Yeah. And she has absolutely loved it. And it's it. fun. It makes me um, excited to see more of them because the world's fun. And uh, yeah, I had, I'll, I'll, okay. yeah, oh, yeah. Well, well Malum, I thought is very interesting and mm-hmm. it's one i want to rewatch again because i like it and i like that it's trying to just be a fucked up fucking dark horror film and i and i yeah. that's missing some years you know and so i really appreciate that um sometimes some parts i think are still creepier in the original that he made because it's lo-fi and so it actually sometimes is creepy but malin's also the more polished and i thought clark wolf was really like surprise mm-hmm. things that i wasn't expecting uh cool movie and then i do want to talk about these three because if this was the objective slash historic importance the fact that there is another shift in this industry, they're not making our list because they obviously didn't connect them quite. But the Outwaters, Skinner and Man. I have them on my list yeah, as well. Yeah, like they're all different. 
and they're all doing slightly different things, but they're of a new type of horror, especially Outwaters and Skin of Marine. Any's Man is just a little different, but still somehow feels like it's of that conversation. I uh, We're all going the World's Fair was the previous year, and it fits perfectly with this, you know. Dimland, I think, yeah. was the year. That was 2019, feels the same. I think they're more interesting to talk about um, and watching as parts than necessarily the whole movie. I, I'm sure Skin Marine will be at the top of quite a few film lists this year, you know, for mm-hmm. some people. Uh, I definitely was in it, like, when I watched it on my thing. But I'm also, like, not excited at it as well. Like, I'm excited about moments of it, and then also, like, eh you know about other outwaters i thought if it was shorter would really have connected i liked outwaters Outwaters was got some brilliant stuff it maybe was a little too long for the kind of movie it is um Mm -hmm. and eddie's men i know frustrated you and and a lot of people i know found it very repetitive i liked i found that was it is i was just like oh my god can we just get to the heart there wasn't heart it was just repetition but it is it's exactly this it's being stuck in a vibe yeah they're they're all being able to escape it and they're very personal uh each of them especially skin rank seems incredibly personal it seems like somebody just taking all this stuff from their childhood and like locking you into their one nightmare they had when they're eight and on that level i'm really impressed i think hype hurts these types of things right so if you watched it early you were probably really affected if you watched it in a theater maybe it didn't work you know i watched on my computer but not knowing much and it kind of did work but it i had to work for it you know it wasn't an easy watch um no i i would spend 10 minutes going oh that's cool and then i would spend 20 going how long are we gonna yeah. look at this wayne scotting and please move the camera and yeah, yeah. but but knowing so, that it's a 15 or ten thousand dollar movie versus what hollywood does in it can still make mil- a couple million you're like okay movies are you know movies are uh, never gonna just die right like you can always reinvent something you can always try something out and it should be inspiration for young horror filmmakers because that's one way to do it you know versus trying to make your film that's you know like a million dollar movie but you don't have a million dollars um so interesting year in horror like whether it's i I don't know but a couple more that i just have to drop um absolute silliness i have to give love to slother house just because it was such i was there i was there theatrical experience for the two of us he's in the car i don't know i should have probably gotten in my car but (laughs) when slother the sloth starts driving off i don't know i did its moments it was it had its moments there were moments where i was like this is way too good for what it is and i was in onyx the fortuitous and the talisman of souls i feel the same way about it it's just absolute bonkers insanity but there was something i found really charming and fun throughout um meg too okay this is not either of the megs anybody's okay both of them always get horrible critical reviews But do like gangbusters at the box office, which is a guarantee that, you know, we'll get another one, which is what I need. Um, I had a blast with this one. So I had a blast with the first one. I just like giant sharks, y'all. It doesn't even, I can't say what the plot was. Actually, I can say what the plot was in this one. It wasn't as um, complicated. But that said, it's, you know, it's a fucking giant shark and Chathan Statham punches him at one point. And I don't need anything bugging else when I see this movie. I want popcorn. I want Jason Statham to kick a shark, which he does. Um, and that's all I need. And then there's a giant octopus in there too. So oh, Meg okay. too. I'm a yeah. I'm a crank purist, and so that's the only movie I want to watch Statham. But if Crank's great. but if Crank and Meg, if it was the Crank character versus Meg, that actually makes sense. Like if it kind it, of is. It, okay, all right, maybe you I need to watch them. Okay. It kind of is. Um, I got to give some love for my religious horrors, Deliver Us, and Pope's Exorcist. And I got to say, one that has kind of stuck with me, which I was not expecting. This is only uh-huh. been at festivals. When I saw Where the Devil Roams when we were at Knoxville. Yeah. 
we watched like four films that day. If you'd asked me at the end of the day, which one was my fave, it would not have been Where the Devil Roams. But I keep thinking yeah, about it. it, it I, I'm and, the same way. I think I, I think it was easier to point out like, oh, well, this sequence is, sh- is shot different than this, or this is a little long, or they don't have the budget. And then once that's gone, after you've watched the movie, it starts to be like, no, this was very ambitious, very interesting, very yeah. like, you know, they're, they're just fascinating filmmakers. And, and we're definitely going to try to get them on the show next year. We, we've t- uh, talked. I have yeah. to. So this is a family that makes movies. Yeah. And I can't even organize my family to get their shoes on and get out the door to go to breakfast. Technically, you made a movie with, when you were fully pregnant, so it was almost like a family movie. But you know, no, because they had no say in it. True, like yeah. they're sentient beings now. Like yeah. these are teenagers yeah. who are helping their parents. I can't even like Marnie's not going to listen to me no matter what I say. I could be like, you should put on the orange shirt, and she'll like you know wear the black one just because I recommended something. So the idea of kind of working together as a filmmaking team, I can't even think about that um so yeah and this movie just the context of it the plot line how much the story kind of moves along and the the time that it traverses i have not stopped thinking about it since we saw it at knoxville yeah movies are great like that because it doesn't you know you react when you that's why you do your star rating or you don't in your case when you first see something but then over time over time it changes and things can go up and that's the fun thing about it which is why i quit doing my star rating because i would watch something and give it two stars and then i'd look back a year ago and be like god i was in a bitchy mood then and it should have four what was i I like to change it that's why i like to do but but i get and no i agree with you that's a that's a good one and i would say uh because it just dropped uh, and I thought it might you know, make a list. Uh, the best open of a movie might be uh, Sacrifice Game. Uh, mm-hmm. for a good cold open. You want to see like a really just like balls to the wall uh, start to a movie. And it's just come out. So it's probably good timing that we're giving that a little plug at the end. Because you can watch it right now on Shutter. And it's a Christmas movie. So check that one out. Yeah, that's a really good one. That's the end okay. of our year. We're done. We are Whoop. we're gonna hang it up for a few weeks and then we'll still be doing some Patreon. We got some deep cuts coming. Deep cuts so if you're on I got a whole list of uh two beat hits to watch while I'm I'm on break. So let's do this. Yeah, I'm gonna go watch some historic epic that I'm not allowed to watch during the year. Um because <laughs> I'm deep into my true crime. This is right. when I catch up and great British breaking show Christmas is on. So that's like the other one where I'm like, I could take a night off from horror and watch great yeah. british baking show so let's do it but we shall return in mid-january and thank you and hopefully you uh discovered some cool movies through us and uh if you want the weirder or deeper cuts go uh subscribe to patreon and deep cuts and big thank you for a year of support from fangoria thank you fangoria we will see you early in january 2024 have a great night everyone The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 